Thanksgiving's over. It's well, hard I to do still a wave feel by good. <laughs> yeah, can't do a wave by myself. Well, I look. I don't have the wound back on right now. I'll show it to you. I still. I've got my my shoe on that makes me walk on my heel, and I have my cup socks on. Did I show those to you? I back? saw the cup socks. I didn't show them to you. Look. Yeah, I saw your cup socks. Yay. So Yay. ugly. They're great. <laughs> Wonderful. They look beautiful. Man, have you been following the uh, the stuff on the uh, the sports uh, blogs and stuff about the Cubs and how they should trade Bryant now and they need to get, you know go ahead and get Schwarber trade. I agree with Schwarber. Schwarber, there are American League teams that would die for him as a as a designated hitter. You know he. Hits about 263. He's going to hit 40 home runs for you. That's the guy you want to put in the DH, all right? And then they're talking about who else? Uh, Alamora. I told you, I figure he's gone. You know, they don't need him. He's shown that he can't hit left-handed pitching. So they need to find somebody who wants him. For They need a good center fielder. But uh, Bryant, I don't think so. He doesn't become a free agent for two years. Yeah, he's only 27 years old. You hold too. on to him, for God's sakes. Yeah. Don't be stupid. I mean, I understand last year, this last year was a disappointment. but And, and we need some pitching because Hamill's gone. They've decided Hamill's gone. I think they may get rid of Quintana as well. They may trade him, to be honest with you. But, Hen, you know, you got Hendricks. He's still going to be all right. Um uh, you know, Lester's on his final couple of years. I personally think that he should be moved from starter to the bullpen. I don't know if he'll accept that, but that would be what I would do. But anyway, this whole thing, talk about Bryant, eh, I don't think so. You'd have to bring, you would literally have to bring the Brinks truck up to Wrigley Field and dump gold in front of the, of, in front of the, the place. And get rid of it. And still in the back of my head, I'd have some of those terrible trades the Cubs have made in the past. You know, and they, uh, you know, where you, you give up somebody for Lou, you know, give up Lou Brock and get nothing in return. No, I don't want to do I don't want to go back to those days at all. Secondly, to speak sports real quickly here. Sorry, Elizabeth. Elizabeth is here. <laughs> Elizabeth is here. She's here to talk politics. We will talk politics in a moment. <laughs> Lane Kippen? Really? That's who they're saying Arkansas wants as a new head coach? I I thought he was just one, maybe one of the potential well, candidates. Well, they spent four hours with him. How many bowl games has he won? Well, he's won several, but here's okay. the key. How long is he going to stay with you? I think he's learned his lessons. I do think that, you know, 10 years ago. Like Tennessee? Yeah, like Tennessee. Showed up for one year and left? I think, see, 10 years ago, he went to USC. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I just, I don't trust the guy. 
I just don't. I'm not going to say he doesn't win. He wins. Yeah. Wherever he goes, he wins. It's got to be better than one in 23 in but the SEC. But I think Lane Petrino, that, that's what goes through my mind. All right? Lane Petrino, that's what I think. He'll screw it up somehow. But we know who we want. I know who I, mm-hmm. know who I want him to offer. I don't think he'll take it. Right. But for God's sakes, offer Urban Meyer the gig. Exactly. Please. And don't call him up and say, hey, we've got this much money. Call him and say, what would it take? How much you want? For you to come in and coach the Razorbacks. You that, got the money. That's the key. Yeah, call Jerry up. I'm just saying. Call him up. By the way, how about, uh, oh, what's his name? The guy who uh, is the builder here in Arkansas played on the championship team of the Razorbacks with uh, Johnson and Jones. Uh, um, I can't think of his name now. His son uh, played this weekend for the Razorbacks at quarterback. Okay. Uh, what's his name? Come on, help me out here. Come on, you can help me here with Elizabeth. You'll know who I'm talking about. <laughs> he's, a, he's a builder and uh, builds a lot of apartment buildings and things of that nature. Um, oh, gosh. Somebody help me. 8230965. 8230965. Uh, I have no clue. Who, who's the father of the quarterback? Okay, I'm looking at the. Getting the Missouri game. Was it Jack Lindsay? Lindsay. Lindsay, the builder. Oh, okay. that builder. Yeah, that yeah, that, that builder. Guy. Now she looks at me. Yeah, the older. You know I don't that do... That builder? I don't do sports. You now, know you don't ha- I wasn't asking you to do sports. I was asking about a builder. <laughs> a uh, builder that's connected to the got Razorbacks. A, you got one of the buttons. There you go. A, a builder that's connected to the Razorbacks. Yeah. So that was his son playing on, uh, on uh, what day did they play? Saturday or Friday? Friday. Friday. Mm-hmm. Looked as terrible as always. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I mean, they what what they do this year? They went two and ten. Is that was it was a final record? Yeah, I think so. Two and ten. I, I didn't know till I saw it in the paper over the weekend. They, yeah. One and twenty three in the SEC. Yeah. come on, yeah. folks. I don't even do sports, and I'm embarrassed. Yeah, they've already moved on to basketball. That's what they're thinking about right now. Hey, what is it that Arkansas is not ranked? They're not. In the, I said looked at the twenty five, top twenty five. They're not there. You know who else is not there? Indiana. Now that's unusual. I mean, Indiana's seven and zero right now. I guess if the Razorbacks, you know, they play Indiana in a couple of weeks from now, yeah, I think they were to win against Indiana up there in Indiana. I think they could be ranked. Possibly. Well, they should be ranked. There's a lot of piss poor teams in that top twenty five. Yeah, I'm just saying. And what's going? Hey, what is going on with Duke that you lose to Stephen F. Austin at <laughs> home at? Home, I repeat to you. And now they've got whose kid that got hurt? One of their guards, wasn't it? To get really? hurt, okay. And that's not good. Gonzaga proved again when it gets into really games that count, they can't win. They lost. They lost to Michigan, right? Yes. Michigan jumped from like double digits to number four in the country, and rightly so. Did you see who's number one? It's Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky. Ah. They're number one. I don't know where the Wildcats are now. They've they've lost two big games now. Yeah, they're, I'm gonna check the rankings right now. They're gonna have some uh, some fighting to do to get back to the top again. Now, just so everybody will know, I am a huge college basketball fan. I will turn away from football 
and watch basketball. And I'm not talking just watching, you know, the big, you know, one of the big fives. Yeah. I'm talking about watching, you know, the Mac and mm-hmm. you know, and all that because the more homework you do right now, the better it will be in March. I'm just telling you. That's right. You got to watch all these That's teams right. play. Watch Richmond. They're playing very well again. The I mean, Spiders are doing their thing again. Stephen F. Austin, you know, a couple of years ago, they made their run. Yeah, they could make, They may be ready to take, make another one. Same as Nevada a couple of years ago yeah. under Musselman. So yeah. you just never know. you got to watch these teams. Well, I, I'll predict now that Arkansas is going to make the dance. I have no doubt about that. They'll make the dance. And I think they may be an eight or nine seed, which is the hardest seeds to come into the tournament. That at. is true. It's one of the hardest seeds to come in at. Those are the best games, but too. But I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying watching them play. And makes me makes me excited to see, for a change, see some really good defense being played on the basketball court up there in, uh, in Fayetteville. Yeah, your defense got to be your constant. you got to always play great well, defense. Well, it's got to be for this team because it ain't going to be height. Yeah. <laughs> they or offense. They don't have – well, sometimes they shoot well. Then they go really cold. And that's why your defense got to be great. That's right. You got to turn the ball over and score off of in transition. Yeah. A lot easier to score in transition than it is to make those 15, 19-footers. And then they've, of course, expanded the three-pointer. Yeah. And that's why three-point shooting percentage is down. That's right. They got to get used to that now. Well, it's just the same. You know, you got to get used to it because the NBA is the same way. That is the three-point line. What so, is the three-point line in college right now? Shoot. Like, like 28 feet or something? I don't and know. It's, it's just shy of NBA, isn't it now? Yeah. You look at that up, and I'm going to look over here and talk to Elizabeth. How was your Thanksgiving? Good? Gobble, gobble, gobble. Uh, did you gobble <laughs> still a lot? Eating. Still, still eating. eating. What's your favorite pie? Pumpkin. You love pumpkin pie? I like it without the crust. Here's the, I'm with you on that. <laughs> I don't want the crust part. I want the if, pumpkin pie. I would rather have bowls full of uh, the filling. I found out how to make it without the without the crust. You got that recipe? Yeah. I want you it. You do it like a custard. You know okay. how you do a custard in a in a water bath well, you in your put oven? It in the water bath. Yeah, you, you put, put it, put it, it in, in a water, water bath, bath in the oven. Okay, well, I need well, Same keep, recipe, just no crust. Put it in a you know glass container. I, put it in know, a water bath. A lot of people buy their pumpkin pie. Oh, no. I, I've got to make my pumpkin it's pie. It's so easy. Well, it's not only easy, but I put a little bit more of the nutmeg mm-hmm. in, a little bit of allspice in, and I like I do the more same thing. I spice that. it up. Yeah, I don't like the bleh. Uh, pies that you get like from you know Wally World or or Kroger or They're whatever. They're bland. Yeah, they are. They don't. They I don't. Agree. And that that's by degree to keep people from not liking them. Right. It probably appeals to more people, but I like the heavy spice, especially the cinnamon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm a cinnamon guy. I like a lot of cinnamon this I time. Like of cinnamon. Year. I uh, while I I made my first uh, uh, fruit cake uh, over the weekend. Did you now? Yeah. Came out really good. Did you put bourbon on it. Yeah, no, I, I do. Don't, I don't do the. Do the you alcohol. like fruit cake? Oh yeah, I love fruit <laughs> cake. You gotta have no. See, you, <laughs> gotta, you need to have a piece of my great great grandmother's oh. recipe. I have it. It's still. Is this I've, the recipe you're using? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have. I still have the um, the card. 
note card that it was written on in her handwriting yes yes and it's like all faded yes i gotta like get out it's got stains on it because you pull it out so many times in the kitchen i know i've got a couple myself and they're real ratty around the edges yeah i got a couple myself so i got that and uh, i made it and typically now i make i make some changes to it nothing against her okay i just add in more of the fruit and peel so that it's a little bit uh um, which is moisture. More moist. I put more raisins in it, mm. and I put a ton more dates. I love you like dates. Dates. I love dates. I really do. It asks for one cup. I put in two and a half, <laughs> and they are good. They're really good. But I went by her recipe, this first one, and um, it was a little bit dry. Which I said you got to put bourbon because on it. <laughs> it is a real dry cake. It's yeah, not like it a dry. fruit cakes that you get from other people. But that's which why they is make it. Because you really are supposed to. I know. Yeah. You're supposed to put a, a some kind of cheesecloth on mm-hmm. it and then and soak it and then soak it and let it sit for about three months. And that's not me. I don't like. I that just either. don't like it. Never I, did like it. I want the cake. I don't want to get drunk off of it. Yeah. A Kahlua chocolate cake? That's a different story. Never heard of Don't it. Don't care for fruit cake. It's just like a chocolate cake, except there's Kahlua in the cake and in the icing. See, and I like Coca-Cola chocolate Coca-Cola cake. Coca-Cola chocolate cake's Ooh, good, too. That's good. That's Ooh. really good. All right, it's 20 after 2. <laughs> we'll come back. Promise we'll talk. You'll never believe what Elizabeth Warren had to say over the weekend. Well, maybe you would. We'll talk about it here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM. The answer with Elizabeth. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. Promised you, you got to hear this. Elizabeth Warren, you know, she believes everything is uh, purchasable. Is that a word? Uh, you can purchase everything. But, Somebody uh, else's money. Well, off the that's, money that's tree. That's what socialism is. Somebody she else's money. You know, she's going to get the money off the money tree. I'll spend it, but somebody else is going to have to put it in the coffers. Now, on top of that, she says that she she plans to be quote. Well, I'll let you. I'll let her talk about it. Here is Elizabeth Warren. Listen to her next hope. Cut one. As a presidential candidate, what are your thoughts on the electoral college? Uh, I want to get rid of it. So here's my Wait, goal. Stop that. My goal is to get elected. Over again. Listen to this. Here you go. Presidential candidate, what are your thoughts on the Electoral College? Uh, I want to get rid of it. So here's my goal. My goal is to get elected and then to be the last American president elected by the Electoral College. <laughs> The second term to be that I got elected by direct vote. I'm ready. Popular vote. Um, I just think this is how a democracy should work. Call me old-fashioned. It's not a democracy war, you dits. About every third word here. So I'm in. All right, that's enough. Is this the country you want to live in? Is this the country you want to live in? Is this the woman you want leading your country? You want the East Coast and the West Coast to elect our presidents. Yep, that's right. And you want somebody else to spend all your money. Yeah. Yeah. They want the cities to elect the president, and oh. that's it. I mean, our democracy. Folks, if you haven't learned this yet, you live in a republic. republic. That's different than a democracy. How do they say the democracy is when you have one wolf 
and one sheep or no two sheep but the wolf decides that's right yeah i don't that's think so. it always that is not the foundation of our country and, but that's elizabeth warren for you i mean look if i were a democrat that would make sure i didn't vote for her for sure to get the uh if you were a democrat you probably believe everything she's talking about if i was a democrat i'd, I'd have to kill myself because i would be so <laughs> conflicted I'm just saying. <laughs> I think I think there are a lot of Democrats actually that are becoming conflicted, uh, and certainly ones in Congress who have decided they might want to speak out against impeachment, who've now been sat upon and told you cannot speak. You know, you're not allowed if you deviate from the majority opinion. There. Yeah, yeah. I'm having. I just I just don't see how anyone that's above the age of. 28 can take elizabeth warren seriously see up to 28 i'll give you the credit that you've already been indoctrinated in college as a lefty Mm, definitely i mean in in the hardest leftist propaganda as possible so you know i'll give you the credit i won't i won't count that against you because you're going to have to wait till you're probably about 35 years old until your mind clears a little bit. Get out into the real world, have a real job, see what things are really like, yeah. and not the fake stories you were told in school. Yeah, exactly. But anybody who believes that we need to get rid of the Electoral College, there's something mentally deficient they about They don't you. understand why it exists. They weren't taught. They don't get it. Well, let's just throw away all of the Constitution. We let's already just, have. Let's We've just get tried. rid of it. Let's just get rid of it. We don't need it because, as Elizabeth Warren said, we live in a democracy. You know, the mob rules. That's the key. Mob rule. Like every other country in the world. I don't want to be like every other country in the world. Our country was supposed to be exceptional and unique and special and different. I don't want to be like everybody else. All right. Now, before I go to the break, one more fast voice bite. Uh, Joe Biden is out there. You got to hear what he called, what he says here. He's talking about health care. Cut number seven for me. And I think we can make sure that everybody has total access to health care. It is affordable. No deductibles more than $1,000, even if you can afford insurance. Be in a position where you, in fact, have, if you, if you don't have the money, you're automatically able to enroll in, a, in Obamacare. Now I'm going to be called Biden Care if I get it passed. What? What? What a idiot. Biden care. Hey, when we come back, okay. I, we're going to hear about his hairy legs. i got to play about his hairy legs. We could call it malarkey care. Yeah, boy. <laughs> Doesn't work care. How about Nobody that? over the age, under the age of, what, 60 would understand. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Anyway, i got a lot of, of audio today. Uh, I want to talk about how the left uses terms to change your mind about things. I sent you that story. Did you read that story about how they're going to rename climate change? No. Oh, it didn't I didn't get, get to it. You? Oh, well, I'll have to. I did see the story, though, I think. We'll talk it's about not, it. It's not warming anymore. And it talks, about, it talks about how lying is good if it's for the greater good as determined by the left by them that's exactly right all right coming up on news let's get you 60 seconds of what's happening to 
catch you up to date, and then we'll be back with more here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Okay, so this article came out over the weekend. A really good one. It's from Breitbart. Writing for Ad Age last week, Aaron Hall argues that in order to get people to take action against climate change, rebranding, quotation marks around it, rebranding is crucial. Now, remember, it used to be uh, we had, what was it called, climate cooling? Was that what it was in the 70s? That's what I was taught in school, global winter and all that. Then they went from that, they went to uh, uh, global warming or climate uh, warming. Then they moved to climate change because they they would make these predictions about the next uh, mini winter that was coming on and was going to freeze the planet up, and the uh, all the the ice was going to move down again. But but we're too used to that idea, Dave. We've got to change those words. So, well, they got rid of it because people wasn't seeing all these glaciers moving back down into North America or anything. So then they started talking about how everything was going to warm up again. And then it was all based on faulty science and it only took a little bit of time for scientists to show how faulty that science mm-hmm. was. Because they faked the data. And so if that was going to be bad, then let's just call it climate change. So anything that happened... It changed. It changed. It, changed. it was changing, all right? So now, uh, since people have gotten too used to the idea that climate is changing and need to be shocked into the notion that the world as we know it is ending. Ending. All right, so let's think about this. This has been going on now for about a year. What was it? uh, ROC. AOC. AOC. How many years did she say? Twelve. Twelve years. And that was a year ago, so now we only have 11 left. 11. And then on the other side, you had Beto O'Rourke, who was saying... Five years, I believe, he got it down to. And others were, <laughs> were like three years. And it was like being at an auction and listening to the bidding <laughs> going on about how long the earth is going to last. Hall asked this question. Is there a better way to convey the urgency of this situation while also encouraging folks to take action? Could the tools of branding and brand naming create a more resonant powerful name what he and his marketing team came up with was a series of much more frightening labels to stick on climate change in the hope of jolting people into meaningful engagement how can you be meaningful if it's all hyperbole yeah let's just nudge them into that direction remember that let's just nudge them that direction just saying let's just lie to the people and make them believe that's called propaganda the terms global meltdown or global melting for instance deliver a more negative image than mere global warming he contends the names signal that ice caps are melting but also create a more visceral image in the mind that real feeling of melting when it's too hot outside A meltdown is a disastrous event that draws from the ultimate terror of a nuke meltdown, an apt metaphor 
for global destruction. Now, I'm quoting this guy. This is in his article. This is what he believes. Because he's an ad man, all right? And he's a lefty at that. Can you tell? Um, <laughs> his grandfather was global. Uh, climate collapse <laughs> and climate chaos, on the other hand, instill a clear message or even a direct call to action. Hall notes, adding that there's nothing neutral about collapse or chaos. To up the rhetoric even more, Hall proposes this weaponized term, scorched earth. Scorched earth. Quote, sometimes a brand name needs to be hyperbolic to truly capture hearts and minds. If we don't take massive action now, Earth is going to be uninhabitable. An irreversible, barren wasteland, he insists. Scorched Earth paints the direst, or the direst, picture of what's to come and what we must avoid and is likely the edgiest brand name from our exploitation, unquote. He continues, whatever we call it, impending climate doom is upon us if we don't act quickly. Perhaps a new name will shift the needle, even if just a little, unquote. Now, he, he calls himself a climate alarmist. And we see these people out there screaming all the time. Last time we saw them was at the Harvard-Yale game, football game, <laughs> when they shut down the game for a while. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Hall's contention that it does not matter if what is said... Now, here, this is a, a true way the left conducts business. It does not matter if what is said is true as long as it elicits the necessary response is re- reminiscent of similar assertions by leaders of the Extinction Rebellion Movement. I didn't even know they existed. The XR Movement, Extinction Rebellion. Look that up. See what pops up there, Never heard Zach. Spokespersons of the movement have acknowledged that their claims that billions of people are going to die from climate change, have no basis whatsoever in scientific fact, but are necessary to provoke the kind of response that is needed to cut back on greenhouse gas emissions. Press last month on what the basis was for predictions of mass death, XR spokesperson Zion Lights, I'm not making that name up, Zion Lights, Acknowledged there is no real ground for these predictions, but contended that such incendiary language is necessary to motivate people confessing that alarmist language works. Nothing but justification for propaganda. Nothing but justification for propaganda. I've been saying that for years they were lying to you. Well, and we know this already about them. It's just recently also showed itself in the impeachment inquiry. You know, we don't say quid pro quo. Now it's bribery because we polled and found out that's what people wanted to hear. These people are not, they're not honest and they're not direct and they're not fair. And they would do anything, they use anything to stay in power. They use semantics is what they do. Like Aesop's fable of the boy who cried wolf. Climate alarmists may wake up one day 
to find that nobody believes them anymore. Such is the price of lying. What does that say about them on the uh, Internet? All right. They are a global environmental movement with the stated aim of using nonviolent civil disobedience to compel government action to avoid tipping points in the climate system, biodiversity loss, and the risk of social and ecological collapse. That's what they are. And they were found in 2018 in the United Kingdom. The protesters. Yeah, yeah. from over in Europe. Nonviolent, so Green, supposedly. So Greenpeace started going wobbly on them, so they start, the, the, the crazy people from Greenpeace started their own group. I bet and, you if you go back and look at their history, that's who it is. And their motto is Rebel for Life. <laughs> Rebel for Life? Yep, Rebel for Life. That's their motto. Rebel for life. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, anytime you're talking about civil disobedience, there's a very, very good chance that they will get what they're looking for because that technique works. Well, you know, the problem is that when people hear civil disobedience, you know who they think of? They think of Gandhi. They think of Martin Luther King. People our age, Dave. They think about I hate to that bring stuff. that up, but our age does, but nobody below us does. Yeah, they probably don't know. Do, Hey, if you're 25, do you know who Martin Luther King is? Uh, you should. Do you uh-huh. know who Gandhi is? You, you should. Yeah. Thank you. You should if you've yeah. had a proper education. How many How many people do you hang out with at times, uh, Zach? If you start talking about Gandhi, they would look at you like, who? I don't. I doubt I have any friends who are like that. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, if I were to just, you know, There's randomly people start asking I mean, people. I can take you back to your college, UALR. Just get out of it. you know other other uh, people that were going to school that you'd say things and they'd look at you like, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they, and, just, they just wanted to be spoon-fed. Well, and especially at a, at a college, you should be hearing all of those different ideas and discussing all of those different approaches and things so that you can learn to critically think about what you're being taught and decide for yourself and find out on your own what is the truth. So let me just say, what I just read to you, a guy from Ad Age, what wields a ton of power in our culture today? Mother's milk. Yeah, well, money, 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 of course, but something bigger than that even. Power? Yeah, power. That has the power. Where do you get the power from? Money. Yeah, (laughs) television. Owning the media. Owning yeah. the media. Yeah. See, that's the part if, of this that frightens if, me. If you're putting those type of thoughts into young people's uh, minds and maybe you're a parent and you watch a movie and you pick it up, let me just tell you, your child may not pick it up right then, but if they get enough of it, they will become an adherent to it when they get older. See, that's the problem, though, obviously. Not only do you hear it, but there is no other competing ideas. There are none. They're not, not out there. Not in universities. They've shut, they're well, trying to shut all that down. it's not just universities. It's, a, it's our culture. Even. It's our news. It's our movies. It's our magazines. I used to be a big fan of Psychology Today magazine. I've read yeah. it for years off and on. Ran into a stack of magazines at the house the other day that I didn't realize I had set aside and had not read from 2016, 17 okay. into 18 a little bit. Picked up a couple of them. Thought, oh, good. I can read little. Dave, I couldn't get beyond two or three pages into any of them. They were so full of social justice signifying and talking about discrimination in common activities. And the whole thing has turned on a dime. It's not about learning about how people think. It is all propaganda. 
no, to push the same points. It's information. They've taken over so many parts of our culture with that same information. You don't hear competing ideas. Yeah. And young people eat it up, hook, line, and sinker, and parents spend tens of thousands of dollars to send their kids to schools to be taught that crap. They hadn't figured it out yet. And leave them there. Yeah, all they're doing is is paying good money and asking for their kids to be indoctrinated as leftists. Maybe you've heard this. I, I can't tell you how many people that I know that I'll be talking to them and I'll hear them say, it amazes me when I talk to my son or my daughter. You know, they'll use their names, okay? And... I don't hear anything that I taught them. I hear some of the, I just hear crazy stuff that they're being taught at school. And I'll ask them, why do you send them there? And then they send them right back. Yeah. And they send them back. That's the thing that I don't understand. Either. I don't care if it's for the hogs or it's for the wolves or who it might be. You might take a look at what your child is being indoctrinated with. I'm just telling you. You know, more and more, the people that I know, some of the younger people that I know that have children still and want to send them to school, many, many, many people, more than I've ever known before, are sending their children to private schools. A lot of people that I know for See, this and very and reason. Isn't that sad? Yeah, that only it is. if you can afford to protect your child. Yeah, because you have to pay double for that education because you're paying your public taxes for public school. you got to pay for your That's kids to exactly be educated right. properly with the values that you believe in, you don't have that freedom any longer in our society. And so I will throw in my aside that I always throw in when we talk about this as my last parting shot. Where is the church? <laughs> Where is the church with schools? Now, that's my question. Where you is can, the church you in You answer anything? yourself. Answer yourself. Where is the church? Some churches have schools. The majority of churches do not. And you can say, well, we're a small church. Then join with another church and another church and another church until you can start a school so you can save our children. Let's take a break. We'll be back with more here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you. We've got uh, about uh, five minutes till we get to the top of the hour. We've got uh, news coming your way. Give you five minutes of news, catch up on what's happening in the world as we're talking here on the air. Uh, when we come back, uh, Republican uh, Congressman Doug Collins of, uh, I think, Georgia is going to talk about a, a few things about the impeachment that's going on. He'll talk about that he thinks the Democrats are now trying to search for a way out of their impeachment. They better. He, he also dismissed Chris Wallace. You said you saw this on television. Oh, my gosh. With the hypothetical question oh. about Trump asking Ukraine to interfere in 2020. Why? You know, sometimes I watch Chris Wallace and I'm wondering, did you just take one? Did you go one toke over the line? I mean, seriously. <laughs> Did you listen to that that song last night and you did one toke over the line? I just can't. I, I just keep thinking his father must just be rolling over in his grave. No, no, his but father. But maybe not. His, fa- his father would be happy. 
Mike Wallace would be a happy dude. He was as lefty as they come. Apparently, Wallace's only purpose these days is to bring people from our side onto his show and try to get them to say something he wants them to say. Yeah, it's all opinion right now. It's all opinion. Yeah. Who cares? And then Colin said that Adam Schiff is hiding behind his gavel to avoid questions on false statements that he's made and the sham process of this impeachment. And I would go along with that. Tom McCormick will join us. Uh, and I love this. I'm just going to quote it. In a free society, the prosecutor doesn't get to veto the defense's witnesses. That's very true. That's according to the law. Yes, that's the law. But this is not the law. Yeah. Th- well, no. Not, it's, no, no, it's no. It's the law according to shift. No, it's called it a is. coup. Yeah. You know. And then I, um, you know, you'll hear Robert Steinbach, who will be on later on in the show, say that, you know, Amy Klobuchar, he says, I would never vote for her. I wouldn't either. But she seems to be the only Democrat many times on the stage during the debates that uses any form of logic. Well, I will throw that away now after I tell you what she had to say uh, over the weekend. Don't be fooled. They're all the same. Yeah, they're all Come the on. same. They are all the same. I think some are harder lefties than others. Yeah, but they're all the same. But once they got into office, they would fall further left. They're all going to fall in line and so, do what they want. So if you're if if them being a lefty doesn't worry you, it should, because they will go further left. If you need any persuasion look at every other democrat candidate in the last two to three years who've run as moderates and the minute they get into office boom off to the left they go do not believe them again it's propaganda it's lies all right we want to talk about uh, pelosi in the next hour we've kind (laughs) of alluded to her and uh, i want to talk about schumer as well he's been kind of quiet he's not said a whole lot he's been smart enough he kind of doing what my daddy always said, you know, better to let people think that you're stupid than open your mouth and prove it. And so um, he's kind of keeping his mouth closed. You're giving him a lot of credit, Dave. Well, he's kind of keeping his mouth closed. I don't doubt what he is. He's been it since he was a congressman, you know, with with Tip O'Neill. I think Pelosi still... Back in the 80s. Yeah, he's (laughs) been there that long. He's that old. Pelosi is still able to exert some influence behind the scenes i believe that she told nadler and she told him you sit down and shut up because i like the way that schiff is taking care of this now things are getting ready to switch over into nadler's committee again and we're going to watch i think a bit of a circus because i don't think he can control himself yeah devin nunes says nadler's starting phase two yeah yeah and i don't think it's going to be a lot different maybe it will but it I don't tend to think it'll be any different than round one, which was pretty much a circus. Well, here's the key. If you've just <laughs> had all of these hearings uh, with the, the Intelligence Committee, right? Isn't that who they've The been? one that they just did yeah. was the House Intel oh, Committee. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they've got all this information. They're writing up their, their you know, report. Today, as we speak. You know, they're writing up their report. Why do you have to have another committee talk to the same people all over again? Well... <laughs> I think Except it started to drag it out. Well, see, I think it started when they wanted to drag it out and, you know, the thousand cuts and all this kind of stuff just keep hammering on Trump with fake facts every day, a drip, drip, drip. But now I think they're kind of taking a different tact. I think they're kind of going the other direction as fast as they can go because they've kind of sort of realized what this means in January. 
if they drag this on and on and on. Well, yeah, it's going to have to have a bunch of senators sitting over yeah. and, not, and not on the campaign trail. And if it blows up in their faces, now, who's going to look like bad? that to save her some money. You see that letter that went out about her campaign over the weekend? How badly that they wow. treat the workers? Wow. Is that is that the one? Yes. But what was I mean? What was behind the comment? The comment set everybody on fire. But what was behind it? Well, what the, what the caused her quit. to say that? The lady quit just she because said it was the so campaign's bad. in disarray and they yeah. don't know what they're doing. And I'm hearing that the guy that's leading it evidently is getting ready to jump ship. Well, I would if I were them. She's not going to make it, and they're not going to have a job. She's in the single, low single digits. They're opportunists. Now. They're not going to have a job, these people. So, yeah, they're yeah. only going to go after the income. She went back and run for office again in California. They yeah, love right. her. They love her in i tell Oakland. you who took her out, too. Tulsi Gabbard. Yep. She did a All good job. All by herself. Yep. She did, she did a good job. With one, well... Couple, couple of sentences there at that uh, that debate. Yeah, how many people have you put behind bars? All right, we'll be back with more here on The Dave Ellswick Show. Snickers bar and having an upper plate, <laughs> not good thing. All to do. sticking together, mm-hmm. all sticking together in the back. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I'm trying to use my tongue to clear it away. Anyway, there. I have to get a hot cup of coffee during the next break. Melt it away. Yeah, I do that. By the way, Mister uh, Zach, did you go see a movie over the weekend? I did not. I'm going tomorrow night to see Knives Out. I plan to see that. I talked to Robert on Thanksgiving. Because, you know, he came to my house on Thanksgiving. Said he hated that movie. Really? I heard it was good. Who done it? You know, he just didn't like it. Okay. He said it was boring. Interesting. How about The Irishman? That's on Netflix. Netflix. Yeah, I heard about that movie. I heard it's really good by a lot of people, but... It got three and a half hours to spend. It's three and a half hours. Three and a half hours. Yep. Is it... Roughly. It's by Hoffa, isn't it? Scorsese. I know Scorsese directed it. It's about Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, it's about Jimmy Hoffa. You know, is he 
You know, they never did find him in the end zone of Giant Stadium. Of course, they were talking about this yesterday on Fox as well. I'm sure they were. Yeah, Everybody wants they're, to they're know what happened the, to him. Well, because they interviewed, and I didn't see the show, but they interviewed the son of one of the mafia folks, and he says, oh, yeah, my dad told me. I know exactly what happened, and they took him to the to the trash dump in New Jersey, but then all this news came out, and so they moved the body, and I'm going to tell you tonight. They had the special on, I think it was last night. I'm going to tell you tonight where his body is because I'm the only one who knows. Was Geraldo doing the interview? No. No, I'm just wondering because, you know, he knew everything in Capone's vault. I'm just I saying. Remember, I can't remember the Fox fella that's doing it, and I was sort of intrigued when he said, I've been doing this investigation for four decades. Yeah. I was like, oh, really? Well, it's been, it's been, a lot of people wanted to know. I could care less. He's dead. Yeah, but he said, you know, the family deserves to know. Are well, you talking about Eric Sean? Yes, thank that's you. Him. That's who it was. Yep. I'm just saying. Eric Sean says he's been doing this investigation for 40 years. He's yeah. been dead for a long time. And when it comes to the mob, they're, Anything very goes. Pro- they're very proficient at that stuff. Anything goes. Don't want you to know. Here. You know, well, if they don't want you to know, you'll never know. I just thought it was really interesting that about the time the movie comes out, coincidentally, Eric Sean has his special on well, Fox. Of course. Yeah, right. Uh huh. Of course. Well, everybody's thinking about Jimmy Hoffa again. Well, you know? and it's also a little bit of a distraction, is it? Isn't yeah. it? Look over here while we do something over there. I mean, I, I did enjoy the the movie that they did about Hoffa with uh, Jack Nicholson. That was a fun movie to watch. Him and DeVito. You remember that one? That was a good one. What was the name of the movie? What was the movie? Uh, I can't think of it off the top of my head. But, they, you know, they put a bullet in the back of his head in his car and just drove his car into the moving van, basically, and put the door, closed the doors and drove off. They were done with him. See, Harry Hoffa, yeah. yeah Hoffa. What a big what a big surprise. It was called Hoffa. Who directed that? <laughs> Duh. Yeah, DeVito. Yeah. He directed go. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was good. It was a good movie. I, I enjoyed it. What I enjoy about the Hoffa movies is how he rose to fame. And how corrupt he was. Now I interviewed his son a couple times. His son was uh fairly clean with the, te- with the Teamsters for a while, but then he got Not corrupted now. his daddy's did. Not now. When I was working uh, part-time uh, after I'd get off of uh, from uh, work at WIBC in Indianapolis, I'd, I'd go downstairs, grab a few hours sleep, and then head over to uh, UPS. And I was a sorter over there. And of course, to be able to work at UPS, you had to join the union. Close shop. So I was part of the union for a while. Uh, not a not a big fan of unions, never have. My dad told me to stay away from them. He was a steel worker, uh, and he had, as well, had to join the United Steel Workers of America to be able to work in the mills up there in northern Indiana. So anyway, uh, Hoffa's always been an interesting character to me. His, his son was an interesting character. Of course, he became president of the Teamsters, for several years and uh, it's just a is a historical look pretty interesting the stuff that jimmy hoffa did and how he pulled it off and how the people when uh when uh, oh not uh, jack but his his brother uh kennedy who was the attorney general robert robert thank you and uh how he made uh the mafia enemy number one 
the book that I've read that I have the most belief in about who killed Kennedy is called Double Cross, and it's written by Sam Giancana's son. And I think that there's a lot of truth to it that when Giancana and uh, Marcello met down in New Orleans, Marcello Mastriani. Course, was a big, big guy down there in, in uh, uh, New Orleans and uh, Giancana in Chicago. And they had been, and Giancano had been, had been promised by Joseph Kennedy that if he could deliver Chicago to Jack uh, during uh, the election, that he would have unfettered access to the Oval Office. Oh, boy. And Oof. he did. Mm-hmm. I mean, he controlled the unions. And they did deliver Cook County, which is the biggest county in Illinois, it's Chicago, and they delivered all the votes that were necessary. How did that happen in Chicago, of all places? Yeah. Of all those those people that voted and voted again and died and voted again and whatever, get up, was vote, it, vote was it, early, vote often. Was it Giacano that, I've read somewhere that there's a mobster, I can't remember his name, who says, no, I know all about what happened with JFK and I was I was the one who delivered three um, shotguns, long guns, yeah. to Dallas the day before or something like it that. It wasn't was Giancana work- said that. It wasn't him? Mm-mm. Can't think of no. who it was. The reason Giancana was killed is because the mob thought he was going to turn state witness. That's right, that he was going to go the other way. And ended up, uh, you know, assassin showed up and put, put four twenty twos in his head. You know why they use twenty twos? by the way, Zach, the mob? Because the bullet doesn't exit. doesn't exit. It stays in the cranium and, and ricochets around. That's why they use a twenty two. He was cooking up some some sausage, from what I understand, for lunch. But anyway, mm. they, they killed him. Uh, Eric Sean says Frank Sheer, Sheeran, Sheeran, yeah. Sheeran yeah. killed him. Yeah. He was sent down. They, they, Marcel wanted to kill Bobby. And here's what Giancana said. His son quotes him as saying, if you want to kill the dog, you don't cut off the tail. You cut off the head. Cut off the head. And that's what uh, they did. Anyway, that, enough of my theories about JFK. I know there's people who think that it was the CIA because he was getting ready to pull out of Vietnam. And, you know, what was that, what was that movie with Burt Lancaster? That was about the assassination, some executive action or something like that. I think that was one of them that they did. Then there was the the, the complete, uh, you know, psilocybin dream that Oliver Stone came up with. Oh yeah, you know, which was really crazy. Magic mushroom time when he gets involved. Just telling you. All right, let's take a break. Quarter after three. Come back. Republican Congressman Doug Collins. Yes. And some things he had to say over the weekend, which are very, very interesting. All right. So I promised you another Joe Biden clip. Do we have to? It's, yeah. This is cut number eight, uh, Zach. Dealing with Joe Biden's I knew it. I knew it. hairy legs. And by the way, you know, I sit on the stand and it get hot. I got a lot of I got hairy legs. That turn that 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 that, that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun, and the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down, so it was trained, and then watch the hair 
come back up again. They'd look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. And I tell you what. Ick. Don't even ask me to explain that. <laughs> That's all types of weird. Yeah, I know it is. All, all types, types of weird. That's good, yeah. That's just, you know, he should definitely be on Netflix with some comedy. I mean, that's just... It's icky. Yeah. Ugh. It's ooh. My hair turns blonde in the summer because of the sun. And and the kids used to rub my legs, legs in the pool. And he loved the... Uh, never mind. Just the way... Uh, that's all types of weird. I mean, the way he closed off that and clip, too, is just... Immediately jumped from that to, I like kids in my lap. Yeah, you it's said it. I creepy. didn't want to say it. It just... It's too creepy for me. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's way too creepy for me. All right. So, the Supreme Court took up its first major gun control case in nearly 10 years today. So you got to go back to the Chicago case and the Heller case uh, for the most recent gun cases. And uh, hearing arguments in a dispute between a gun advocacy group and New York over a statute that restricted the transportation of firearms outside city limits, even when licensed, locked, and unloaded. This is the kind of stuff that uh, the women in the redcoats would like to see passed and made law everywhere because they don't believe in, you know, the Second Amendment. They don't believe in, in, in those rights. They can say that they do all they want. Their actions prove differently. The city statute was later amended, but the court heard arguments over the original measure anyway in a case that could have ramifications for local gun laws. The fact the high court even considered the case, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus the city of New York, prompted a stunning complaint earlier this year from uh, Democratic senators who filed a brief essentially threatening to pack the court absent changes. This is the case that caused them to put out that comment that said, well... You know, we need to do something about we this. We need Supreme more people court. on the Supreme Court. We're going to have to pack that court because they're not going to rule the way we That's wish. That's right. The warning underscored what could be at stake in today's case. The Supreme Court has not issued a significant gun rights decision since 2008's District Columbia versus Heller. Since then, the court applied Heller, which recognized the right to possess a firearm for purposes such as home protection to states via the 14th Amendment in 2010's McDonald versus City of Chicago. A 2016 ruling in Catano versus Massachusetts, which dealt with a state ban on stun guns, did not focus on traditional firearms, but acknowledged that the Second Amendment extends to other weapons as well. It's unclear whether the case before the court today could join the list of landmark Second Amendment cases. Here's what's going on here. The law in question said city residents could apply for a premises license to keep a firearm in their home, but they had to keep the weapons at home. Licensees uh, were permitted to take their guns to one of the seven authorized city shooting ranges if kept in a locked container. The New York State 
Rifle and Pistol Association fought the law, claiming it was unconstitutional to keep people from bringing their weapons to second homes or ranges outside of the city. While the court agreed to hear the case, New York City amended the regulation following a change in state law removing prohibitions. Because they didn't want it to go to the Supreme Court. That's exactly right. They know they lose. Against transporting locked, unloaded, licensed firearms to homes, shooting ranges, or competitions outside the city. The city and its supporters claim that the change ultimately makes the case moot. Liberal justices Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Elena Kagan, and Sonia Sotomayor appear to agree. Quote, the petitioners have gotten the relief that they sought, Ginsburg noted during uh, today's arguments. Sotomayor told plaintiff's attorney Paul Clement that this was a case in which the other side has thrown in the towel and completely given you every single thing you demanded in your complaint for relief. Clement argued this was not the case and that the new law is still unclear because while it permits continuous and uninterrupted transportation of firearms on their way out of New York City, it does not address what would happen if a gun owner, for instance, takes a coffee or bathroom break along the way. Sotomayor noted that this is an issue with the new law, not the old one at the center of the case. The new law has yet to be reviewed by lower courts. Justice Stephen Breyer also said he believes that people who stop for coffee while transporting guns would not be prosecuted. His opinion, not the law. Conservative Justice Neil Gorsuch, I like that name, however, pointed out that stopping for coffee while transporting a gun would still have been a problem under the old law, so this issue should be relevant in the current case. The attorney for the city, meanwhile, argued that such breaks are entirely permissible as the continuous and uninterrupted language is absent from the state's law, which is controlling. Deputy Solicitor General Jeffrey Wall, however, argued that the plaintiffs could be awarded damages for economic harm suffered while the old restrictions were in place. Ginsburg noted that this could have been a lifeline for the plaintiff's case, except they never requested damages. They've had every opportunity to say that they want damages, including today, Kagan pointed out. And for whatever reason, Mr. Clement has, you know, basically said this case is not about damages. So we'll have to wait probably to sometime around by June of next year to find out how they rule on So this. here's a question. I've had the feeling and the opinion that the Supreme Court has backed away from ruling on these big issues that we would like to see as conservatives them to put some definitive rulings in place and in most cases they find a minor point in the lawsuit somewhere and they grab a hold of that and they make a ruling but they ignore the larger questions because the state of new york has changed its law and oh by the way they also in order to try to keep it out of the supreme court they also not only changed the law but they act, enacted a new law that said cities could no longer make laws like they made <laughs> they tried every way they could to keep it out of the supreme court my question is do you think they really will rule on the second amendment yep. or will they find a small tiny piece of it and ignore no, the I larger think question if they're going to go they're going to go back on this and that's serious stuff for anti-gunners yeah, I don't know. I really don't trust now at this point the Supreme Court either, and I don't trust John Roberts. 
who, by the way, will be the person who rules over the Senate and conducts the impeachment hearings there. All right. So the Supreme Court, this is what the Democrats said after they heard that the Supreme Court was going to take this case. Which they did not want. Oh, no. They really they said didn't the want that. The Supreme Court is not well. Yes. <laughs> and the people know it, said the brief filed in August by Senators Whitestone, or pardon me, Whitehouse, Blumenthal, Hirono, Durbin, and uh, Gillibrand. Perhaps the court can heal itself before the public demands it be restructured in order to reduce the influence of politics. Dog whistle. A lot of uh, people spoke out about that, Graham included. Quote, when you hear Democrats talking about expanding the Supreme Court, they are take, talking about making the court more liberal. Harvard Law professor Tribe, a well-known liberal voice, fierce critic of Trump, also came out against the Democrats on that issue, calling their brief inappropriately and stupidly threatening, period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Tribe would say that tells you it was really a dumb, dumb thing to do. you got to go a long way to make Tribe not hold on with the left. This is why the other side doesn't want damages. They really do want the Supreme Court to rule on it. So this is is a biggie. Uh, The New York State Pistol Association, by the way, is the – there's one of those associations in every state, those of you who did not know. That is the – I'd call it the grassroots side of the NRA. That's the the people on the ground in your local community is usually – in our state, it's the Arkansas Pistol Association. I happen to know some folks that are officers in that organization. All right, let's take time, get some news. we got a minute update for you. Then we'll come back, and we'll hear from Doug Collins, congressman from Georgia. Had some very interesting things to say. And here in the next uh, few moments, Robert Steinbach will join us, along with Elizabeth, here in the studio. All right, we continue. You ready to talk about what Doug Collins had to say? I want to hear Doug Collins. We will talk about what he has to say as uh, we play these cuts. He's uh, from the 9th District in Georgia. This is uh, Republican Congressman Doug Collins. He's been very outspoken during the impeachment. I've played him a lot of times here on the show. We'll start with cut number three, talking uh, about something that I talked about last week. Here we go. 52% 52% were in favor of impeachment. That was in October. Now in November, only 48%. So it's lost four points. So they, they, this was their best swing. They put all the guys out there. They had the transcripts. They knew what they were going to say, and the women. And then they have the articles of impeachment. It's going to be offered. And now in come the academics. And then all of a sudden, people are going to go, okay, whose mind has changed? So this is trending away. Evan Bayh said yesterday, as a Democrat, he thinks an off-ramp, they should look for an off-ramp, and an off-ramp would be censure. Do you recommend that too? No, I do not. What did he do wrong to get censured? Right. That would be like saying, let's just take it because we want to get the Democrats to like us anymore. No, you don't You don't give in to people who are viciously going after you for no reason. This president's done nothing wrong, should not be censured. They're not looking for an offer out. In fact, I heard something yesterday from a member of both the Judiciary and Intelligence Committee. They're saying, well, if the president wants to mount a defense, now's his time. 
He's not had to defend anything because he's done nothing wrong. What they're searching for now is a way out. What their way out is this. How about drop the sham impeachment hearings? Why not go back to actually passing the USMCA? Why not actually legislating? Why not actually caring about the American people instead of your voters who you promised in November 16th that you're going to promise to impeach this president? Why don't we get back to actually doing our job? That's their off-ramp if they'll take it. So what do you think? <laughs> I think Doug Collins is right on target, and he knows exactly what he's talking about. And they want to take it off the. They want to take it on the off ramp because they got problems, and they can't handle what they've got coming at them. And in January, if they've still got this thing going on, it's going to have a real impact on their presidential race. Well, what I think is kind of interesting because we go back to you know shift and a piece that we played from him. Well, it's about middle of last week where he was talking about, you know, uh, I, we got I, an iron shut case, and he was asked by Tapper about then you're ready to impeach the president. Oh, and no. he said, no, wait, I got to go back and talk to my constituents and to my, you know, fellow, you know, That's the day the backing away began. Yeah. That's the day the backpedaling started. Yeah. And in, now it's going faster and faster. Earnest. In yeah, it's going it. faster and faster. I thought it was interesting that Evan Bay said that. Evan Bay is a friend of mine. I mean, I was when I was working at WIBC in Indianapolis, right. he, was a, he was the governor. And I did many a show with him. He was always willing to come on and defend his point of view and stuff. I had no problem with that. And uh, I remember we did Halloween night from the governor's mansion in front with our big RV that we had our mobile studio and uh, his, uh, he had his two boys out there with him who were both, I think, three years old at the time. And Susan came out, his wife, and she's very articulate as well. And it was, a, it was just a very good show. But you know, I would call by a moderate. He's, he, he was I in, would agree. He was in the Senate, and then he, he started getting the, the dark side started pulling him in. All right? And he became more to leftist. The left side. He became leftist. And he left. That's right. He got beat. That's right. He, he got, got beat because he, he wasn't far enough he, left yeah. to make him happy, which so, is what's happening to most of the moderates in the Democrat Party. They wouldn't these turn days. out for him, and so he ended up uh, losing his position. I forget what college now he's the president of Wabash, maybe. And um, but this is what's happening in your presidential race yeah, as well. But, They're not far left. Okay, enough. so being the moderate, he's saying, "Look, guys, we can save some face just censoring." That's what he's saying. He says you can save, you can wipe, you get to wipe a little bit of the egg off your face. Not all of it, but a little bit of the egg off your face if you do this. And, of course, Collins is exactly right. All right? He says if they censor, how are they going to tell that to the American people? I don't think it's a matter of, of being embarrassed or keeping the egg off their faces. I think that for them... The party is above everything, including the country, the voters, everything. And I think they've woken up and realized that they're sort of committing suicide here. See, and they're trying to find a way party. out. I think it's the ideology. Well, the ideology, I, the party, the ideology to me is the same these days uh -huh. because I don't think there is anything moderate on that side at, at this point. Again, what's causing the whole thing to happen is the squad and the far left folks. They're running Pelosi crazy. They're running all these other folks crazy. Pelosi's in a bad, bad, bad spot. What she said, it had to Have be bipartisan. Have you noticed she's been pretty quiet lately? Yeah, well, 
I think late late last week she started making noises though. See, this is when this backpedaling started to begin. She started making noises late last week about, and I heard it again this morning on the news that, you know, it may be time for for me to bring USMCA to the table. It's been one calendar year since Canada and Mexico agreed to do what we were going to do, and it has sat for a year. Congressman Hill and I have talked about that extensively. I did hear that. I did hear that the other day, and he's exactly right. I mean, this is this is it, this is costing us money and, and jobs, her. and it's on her. But she's got a real problem because she's not a far leftist. She's a practical individual. I disagree totally with everything she stands for, but she is a practical individual, and she, she likes sees money and she likes power. Exactly, and she sees In that order, if we keep way. doing what we're doing and we try to impeach this president, we're going to really suffer. Now. I don't know if she thinks they're going to totally lose, but obviously she thinks there's a chance because she's backpedaling and now talking about bringing legislation to the table so that before the end of the year she can go, you know, you, you say the Democrats haven't done anything all year except try to impeach the president. We haven't done – oh, yeah, here's – see, we've done this for you, American people. It has nothing to do with you people. Nothing. Excuse me. Bless you. Yeah. It all day. came up. All right, so anyway – Collins went on in this show. Uh, he was on with Chris Wallace at the time that he was saying, mm-hmm, talking about this. Mm-hmm. Chris Wallace, which blew my mind, playing these word games with him and his hypothetical questions. Listen as he tries to talk Doug Collins into answer, answering a hypothetical. Understand that if you're an elected individual or if you're a person of power, if you're sitting there and answering questions, if you answer a hypothetical, you might as well answer a, a straight-on question. And everything they ask is hypothetical now. What if, what if, let's say, let's say da, 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 da. what do you think? What do you think? But Who cares? The, you, there's no defense then if you answer That's right. It. There's because no defense because they say, well, but that's the way you would take care of it. Yeah, let's see what's in your cut because that's there was right. quite a bit to that part of the interview. Yeah, so let's let's play this for him. Uh, Here's cut number four. Do you see anything wrong with that? The president conditioning support for Ukraine, whether it was a meeting, whether uh, with with Zelensky, whether it's military, conditioning support for Ukraine to that country investigating some of the president's political rivals. Well, I think it's interesting that the premise of your question is based on witnesses who agree with your premise. I disagree and say that Mr. Volker, Mr. Morrison, even Mr. Sondland, who presumed it was being conditioned, the president himself told Senator Johnson there was no precondition. There's nothing to be presumed on this. So if you want to show one side, then also show the other side as we go along with this. President Trump has always been concerned about foreign aid. He's always been concerned about what's going on in the Ukraine and in Europe and how is Europe participating and how our tax dollars. But the question is, the question is, though, if we're looking at corruption does it matter who's involved that's the problem in the policy issue that got discussed in intel he was looking at the corruption part of this and yes if they were if the bidens were involved then they would have been a part of that see hypothetically i thought he did a great job of answering what he wanted to answer without answering the hypothetical well absolutely and right before that wallace tried two or three times at least to get Collins to say what Wallace wanted him to say, which is Trump did something wrong. And at one point, Collins turned to him and said, I, I and I'm paraphrasing, I disagree with the premise of your question, and I'm not going to be answering these kinds of hypothetical questions. 
He called him out big time. Yeah, but Wallace just kept going and then not says, a hypothetical. Oh, but but Collins, you sit down and just hang on just a minute. I'm going to set up another fake premise and I'm going to ask your opinion again. It mm-hmm. was ridiculous. Yeah. All right. Then he went on. He finished up talking about Adam Schiff. And here's what he had to say. And if you've heard Collins in the past, you probably know exactly what he had to say about Schiff. Here's cut number five. Oh, of course. We're going to uh, testify. First and foremost, the first person who needs to testify is Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff is the author of their support. Adam Schiff has been the author of many things, um, a lot of them found to be false over the past couple of years, but he's going to be the author of this report. He's compared himself in the past to a special counsel. This is what he said he was doing. Well, if we go back to Clinton and, and even back to Nixon, but in Clinton, Ken Starr was a special counsel. He presented a report that we're going to get as uh, judiciary. He actually came and sat and testified under oath and took questions from all sides, including the White House. My first and foremost witness Adam Schiff. There you go. Isn't you, that interesting? You're talking about Ken Starr. He he appeared in front of the committee and answered all questions from everybody. Shift ain't going to show up. Shift's not going to do that. But here's the thing: the Republicans have got to quit trying to compare what's happening now to true impeachment processes that have happened in the past. This is not anything like any of that. Yeah, but it the, has that name on it, but other than that, it left, has nothing to do with it. The left is making the case that it is. For instance, let me play cut number 10 for you they from are. House Judiciary Committee member Democrat uh congressional uh congressman Zoe Lofgren. Zoe Lofgren. Yeah, here you go. Cut 10. Zoe. Oh. So the intelligence chairman, Adam Schiff, says President Trump, his conduct has been far more serious and beyond anything that Nixon did. You were there. We're seeing pictures of it. Do you agree? Actually, I do agree. The president, uh, President Nixon's uh, misconduct related to trying to use the levers of government to hide the Watergate uh, burglary to, you know, his misconduct had to do with trying to throw the election. But it, at least it didn't involve involving other foreign nations. If you take a look at the what the founding fathers were concerned about, it was the interference by foreign governments in our political system that was one of their gravest concerns. Nixon's behavior didn't fall into that range. So in that way, this this conduct is more serious. So I have to circle back to the what we were talking about a moment ago, which is that you're saying it's more serious than what Nixon did, and yet you're not ready to go there on flatly saying that the articles of at least one article well, will be passed. Here's what I want to do. I want to let the process play out. Mm-hmm. We're going to have our For hearing. As long as then possible. we will have debate that includes prayerfully. Uh, oh, yeah. All the members of the committee, including the Republican members, we've invited the president or his counsel to appear uh, to provide information. Uh, and let's see this process play out. You know, if we've got it wrong, it doesn't look like we do. But I, I would welcome an opportunity to reach a different conclusion about the president's misconduct. Uh, this is not a great uh, time for the country to have a president revealed as doing something so counterproductive to the national interest. It would be wonderful if there were some benign uh, explanation. I'm struggling to think what it would be at this point, but we have to at least allow for that possibility. And uh, But if the president's behavior is as it appears so far, 
that is a very serious matter that threatens our constitutional order. All right. I just don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> well, she ran, she ran it in circles. I mean, That's the way they I'm answer. so dizzy and sick to my stomach from going in circles. Golly, you know, people, how many sides of your mouth can you talk out of at once? The only people that they ever bring on to talk about this stuff is people from California. Shift is from California, too. They're all nut jobs. Yeah, look at the really shape are. California's in, too. They're nut yeah. jobs. And, and, and let's talk about one other thing here before we get to our break, and we got to get one in here quickly. Tom McClintock was asked about this whole impeachment thing, and, and let me just listen <sighs> to what he had to say about it. Cut number nine. So you'll recall uh, in the uh, intelligence hearings, Republicans uh, uh, asked for nine witnesses. Uh, Adam Schiff vetoed six of those. In, in a free society, the prosecution doesn't get to choose what witnesses the defense wishes to call. And yet that's what's been going on in the Intelligence Committee. And again, the question is going to be whether Jerry Nadler continues that sham in the judiciary hearings. When it goes over to the Senate, uh, that's going to play a big role, I think, in the Senate's deliberations. They, I think, will insist on full due process rights and that could blow up in the democrats faces uh yeah i think that that could be pretty much figured <laughs> that now uh he makes it very very clear that uh he just does not buy into all of this that's going on uh by the way if you wanted he's the uh, congressman from california's fourth congressional district he's been in congress since 2009 a member of the republican party he served as an assemblyman and a state senator in California as well. But he's exactly right. In a free society that is controlled by law, the prosecutor doesn't get to veto your witnesses. Two key pieces there. Free society controlled by law. That's not happening here, especially the second part. All right. Let's talk to Chris. He's out in Conway. Chris, how are you? Hey, I'm good. I was just... Uh I was just listening, and uh, I don't think many people notice. Uh, I, I don't know her name, the the lady who was talking. Lofgren. Yeah. Yeah. What she said um, was, oh God, what was it? Um, I would like to reach a different conclusion about his misconduct. Mm-hmm. She didn't say that, oh, we, we want to find the truth or <laughs> we want or his alleged misconduct or anything. She, it's that's how you know it's 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 not trying to find the truth it's like they they've already made up their mind she yeah. said it it's in the bag she said it's yeah. kind of like hillary's gonna win yeah. they decided yeah yeah it's uh, it's interesting that you you just gotta listen to these folks don't you chris they i i try to play as many of these people as i can and the more we play them i think it just gives them more and more rope to hang themselves yeah it, if you just listen to exactly what people say Yep, you're right. No spin. Thanks for calling. Hope things are going well in Conway today. we got to get a break in. Sorry to let you go so quickly, but I do got to get a break. We'll do that right now here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, so um, Robert Steinbach is supposed to be here any moment now, and I hope he's listening because he, along with I, both have said that Amy Klobuchar is like, the one Democrat typically up on the stage during the debates that talks with a modicum of logic. I thought that until this weekend. (laughs) And then she said this. Here's cut 11. A big debate on the campaign trail this week has been about four-year college. 
you do not support free for your college, I should say. Um, you say you're not for, quote, sending rich kids to college for free. Congresswoman Alexandria, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez called that point of view a, quote, GOP talking point, saying universal systems should benefit everyone and rich kids would go to elite private schools anyway. How do you respond? Well, first, I think she was responding to an ad that uh, Mayor Buttigieg had put out. But you have the same position. Yes, but in fact, I've had this position from the very beginning at the CNN town hall, in uh, which I made very clear, and I made my mark with this position. But I would have done a different kind of ad that might have brought um, some people with me more. And that is this. Let us look at our economic needs and match them to our education system. And that means making it easier and more affordable for kids to go to college by doubling Pell Grants. Uh, that also means making loan repayments much easier. But what would I make free? The one and two year degrees. Why? Fastest growing area of jobs. But not, not giving it to a shortage of MBAs or CEOs. But not giving it to everyone. Is that a GOP talking point? No, I don't think it is. I think it's a talking point for our economy, and let me explain why. We're not going to have a shortage of MBAs or CEOs. We're going to have a shortage of plumbers in the next 10 years. We are going to have 74,000 openings for electricians. We're going to have over a million openings for home health care workers. The way you, you approach this is by saying, let's make it easier for people to afford school. Let's try to direct people into the areas we know we're going to have jobs, and let's respect the dignity of work. For those jobs that don't pay as well, let's make sure people have access to child care and retirement, higher minimum wage, making it easier to organize unions. That is a different message than just a negative message. Wow. Wow. There's so much in that two minutes that she just did. Wow. Did you listen to the end of that? There's more to this than just a degree. You know, for the, for the lower paying job that you would get a degree to have, I guess that means if you're going to be a, a heat and air vac kind of guy or something like that, which is making pretty good money if you're if you're good at it, is that uh, we're going to give you free child care, we're going to give you free this, we're going to give you free that. You, why not give them a free four-year degree then? You're going to spend the same amount of money. Why do I even need a job if you're just going to give me everything for free? Yeah. Why do I need? The other thing is, if you want to make sure the kids uh, pay their loans back, and that that's what this is really about. Don't think it's because the kids owe so much money. It's just because they're not paying it the back. The schools didn't get their money. Here's, here's what you do. You go back to the way it used to be. You let kids go to banks to get the loans. Here's another one That's for what you. I had to do. Here's what I like. I like the idea that says if a school wants to, you know, give you money to go to school, let them float the loan. Yeah, that's They'll called, be a little more well, interested in getting paid back and getting you a, an education. I'm just no, saying, I'm talking about a loan. Yeah, well, let the schools school, I don't do think it. schools should be able to do that either. I just think it should be kids go out, go to the bank, prove that they're at least somewhat credit worthy in some way, and then they get a loan. I would like... Before that happens, I would like to know and see. I don't believe that it costs that much. Okay? Every time you, you, you mentioned it earlier, we were talking and you were reminding me about the oh, no. scholarship lottery here in Arkansas. No, public education is much more expensive than it must be. Oh, yeah. As soon as the scholarship lottery was put in place here in Arkansas, you said it. The schools yeah, jacked they, they up cover, there. They covered it by raising the tuition. But I just don't believe it costs that much. I just don't. I don't either. So 
you know, but I mean, if you're going to believe in education, seats that they're building up at those universities. Well, that's another. I mean, this is a sore subject with me, but we throw money at the education every year, all the way through the government, from federal to state to local. So I don't gov- see the numbers so getting get a lot the, better. Let's get the government government out of it, and the first thing they can do is stop being the ones that issue our money to students. All well, right. right, a break. I appreciate you coming in, Elizabeth. Thanks for having Always me. Here. Always. Robert Steinbach should be here just around the corner here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Robert Steinbach is supposed to be getting here and will join us. I'm waiting for him to get here and do his thing. So I'm excited about uh, about that. All right. Let me uh, check back in here and see. I, I had some other stories here I wanted to get to today. And uh, one of them. Let's go home here. House GOP says no grounds for impeachment claims the Democrats want to upend our political system. So let's find out what that's all about. House Republicans delivered a point-by-point rebuttal today to the Democrats' impeachment efforts, claiming in their own report that, remember, today was the day that the, uh, the Intelligence House Intelligence Committee was supposed to put out their report. So the Republicans have jumped and given their report now as well claiming in their own report that the evidence collected in the inquiry to date does not support the accusations leveled against President Trump or rise uh, about uh, the level of removal from office. The evidence presented does not prove any of their allegations, and none of the Democrats' witnesses testified to having evidence of bribery, extortion, or any high crime or misdemeanor They said in their 123-page report, time to be made public ahead of the majority Democrats' impeachment report. The dueling narratives are emerging following two weeks of House Intelligence Committee hearings where witnesses detailed their own knowledge of efforts to pressure Ukraine to launch political probes as U.S. aid was withheld over the summer. The committee is set to vote on the Democrats' final report tomorrow, likely to be another party-line moment, before transmitting that document to the Judiciary Committee, which holds its first public hearing on Wednesday. And here's my question. Why? Why do we have to go through the Judiciary Committee now? Why didn't we get, didn't we get all these people uh, through the Intel, Intelligence Committee? They've got a report. Give it to all your members. Let them read it. And then let's have a vote on impeachment. Yay or nay? Yay or nay? You don't need to go through another committee 
to hear the exact same testimonial all over again or to massage your questions so that you hopefully get the answer that you're out trolling for. House Intelligence Committee Ranking Member uh, Devin Nunes from California, Oversight Committee Ranking Member Jim Jordan, and Foreign Affairs Committee Ranking Member Michael McCall of Texas penned the Minority Report, which has been reviewed by Fox News. In it, they broadly defend the president's actions in the face of accusations that he withheld military aid in a White House meeting as leverage to pressure Ukraine to launch a probe involving the Bidens. The Democrats' impeachment inquiry is not the organic outgrowth of serious uh, misconduct, they said. It's an orchestrated campaign to upend our political system, according to the Republicans. They added this impeachment inquiry and the manner in which the Democrats are pursuing it sets a dangerous precedent. At the center of the impeachment inquiry, which began in September, is Trump's July 25th phone call with Ukrainian President Zelensky in which he asked for an investigation into Joe Biden's efforts to oust a prosecutor who had been looking into Ukrainian natural gas firm Burisma Holdings where son Hunter Biden served on the board. That call prompted a whistleblower complaint and in turn the impeachment inquiry. The president's request to Zelensky came after millions in U.S. military aid to Ukraine had been frozen, which Democrats and witnesses have claimed shows a quid pro quo arrangement. Trump has denied any wrongdoing, and Republicans have defended his position. In their report, the Republicans argued the evidence found throughout the impeachment inquiry doesn't establish that President Trump pressured Ukraine to investigate the Bidens, for the purpose of benefiting him in the 2020 election. So, uh, you know, it's going to be, you know, dueling reports. I just heard from uh, Robert. He is going to be here in just a moment. And I got to ask him. I mean, he's he is more uh, up on what goes on in D.C. as far as this kind of stuff goes. Because he just worked for one of our presidents, President Bush, the younger, and uh, served on committees and in a uh, legal capacity. And I want to know why now this is the football is being passed over to another committee. I mean, you had you had your hearing. How long has this been going on? Where they had, you know, they had their uh, uh, Spanish Inquisition down in the basement where. They were calling people in, and they were sitting there and questioning them, and they were writing up their depositions and uh, would leak a little bit of them out that they thought were damning uh, to the president. And uh, then they had their, quote, transparent open meetings that they televised, and they had these people come in again and ask them their questions. And from what I heard from those people, none of them— gave us a definitive bribery answer or anything like that. So it's uh, interesting to to listen to this kind of stuff. I mean, nowhere has it been mentioned about bribery. Bribery is a word that hasn't been used except as a question uh, to uh, Volcker and to some of the other witnesses. Did you hear uh, the president uh, 
you know, bribe anybody. No. Did you see uh, a bribe paid to the president? No. On and on and on. Bottom line, the other stuff that they were saying about bribery and talking about quid pro quo was all hearsay. None of it was firsthand experience. In fact, the only firsthand experience was the last ambassador who sat up there and said, I uh, got I got the president's ear uh, and he was in a rush and he wasn't in a good mood. And I asked, what do you want? And he says, I don't want nothing. I don't want any quid pro quo. I want Zelensky to make the decision uh, that he ran on, which sounds like to me, you might as well call the, the whole impeachment off now. But now they're going to hand it off to Nadler. What's going on here? Why are they doing it this way? I got I to gotta know. I got to know. So anyway, get back to that uh, in a few moments. Let's get our break in early, Zach. Uh, Robert is on his way. We'll talk to him when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right. Robert Steinbach is here. So now I'm loaded with questions for you, Mr. Steinbach. Of course, uh, let me remind you that Robert Steinbach is a professor of law over at UALR, Bowen School of Law, and his opinions are his and his alone. And I want to make sure that is, although they should probably follow his opinions 99.9% of the time. Why are you taking out point zero 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 one percent of the time of my well, opinions? everybody should probably be given the chance to be wrong I somewhere see. along the I line. I see. So here's my question, Robert, because I don't understand that. I heard, you, I heard you driving in, in fact. Okay, so you heard me talking about the uh, Intelligence Committee. They, they've right. just gone through their hearing, and they had their, you know, Quasimodo meetings down in the basement, and they uh, kept them quiet from the public except for the things that they thought was damaging to Trump, which they released, and now— uh, they've had their public meetings, and that's all done. And today they're supposed to release their report. I don't know if they have or not. The uh, Republicans released a report today. And then they're going to bring in Nadler, and they're giving it to the judiciary. Now, my question is this. Why don't they put it up for a vote? Why would it go to another committee? It's a good question. Now, there is uh, somewhat of an answer to that, meaning it's not wholly without basis. The Judiciary Committee is the committee charged with drafting articles of impeachment. So why didn't you start the frickin' impeachment with the committee that drafts the right. impeachment articles? So, and I agree with that. The, their claim would be, but we, as the Intelligence Committee, are the investigative committee regarding intelligence matters, so we shall conduct that investigation, and then thereafter turn over our factual findings such that the Judiciary Committee can make its own decision. With that said, mind you, all of those designations by the committees are done by agreement. There's no reason an intelligence committee couldn't draft a bill on environmental matters, even though right. there's an environmental committee. Now, the environmental committee, if they don't agree, there's going to be a turf war. But if they, if they do agree, they say, okay, turn it over. I recall when I was working on the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, I'm going to I'm going to muddle the facts a little bit because I never disclose sort of inside conversation. Right. But I remember some some matter uh, was uh, uh, being introduced by some senator that was probably going to go through the Judiciary Committee. And 
someone didn't want it to go through the Judiciary Committee. Uh, and uh, th- so they thought, or no, someone involved in the Judiciary Committee didn't like the bill. So they were going to say, well, you can bring it to the committee and maybe we can get it out of committee. But that doesn't mean I'm going to vote for it when I get out of when it gets out of committee. And I said, hey, why don't we just decline jurisdiction? And that's what they did. Uh, so meaning you can pass things along if you get consent. But I suspect even within the Democratic Party, there's a turf war. Uh, Schiff wanted to make himself famous. He certainly made himself infamous. Uh, and, That's for sure. Right? And uh, so he wanted to hold those hearings. And now, and I, I suspect the Democrats uh, writ large also like the multiple committee setting because they think they're making headway. Now, I think they're wrong. Uh, I think they're actually hurting their cause. You saw the numbers go against them at the conclusion of the Intelligence Committee meeting. Yes. So we, we shall see how that plays out. But. The, sh- the short answer, after having given a very long answer to your question, is why does it have to go through the Judiciary Committee? Well, it doesn't have to, but bureaucratic turf war generally uh, means that it calls for it to go through the Judiciary Committee. Just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Again, I, I mean, it sounds like just another way for the Democrats. They did it this way. Nancy Pelosi did it this way so they could drag this thing out. Until right, uh, next right, year. Right. That's, there, that is certainly a plausible explanation for having done it this way. Now, they will come up with another explanation, of, oh, course. of course. Now, mind you, it's ultimately a political, not the, the decision-making on impeachment is not entirely political. You hear often on television from uh, wannabe pundits, they say, well, that's a political decision. Uh, And I may have used that locution from time to time in the past, in fact, to to concede a a fact. But when one, if you're talking about it and you really understand it, that's actually too short a shorthand. And I fear that most of the pundits on television don't even understand it. It is not entirely a political process. It is a legal process uh, by a political branch uh, whose determination of certain aspects uh, can be characterized as, uh, as political. Certain other determinations are made by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Those are clearly legal determinations. And so it is a quasi-legal, quasi-political um, process. I point, that all, point out that all to say that these initial phases is entirely political. In other words, they can do whatever they want to do. I'm not saying that's morally just, but they can do whatever they want to do. And think about it this way, you know, uh, when um, uh, when Obama nominated, what was that guy's name who never became the the, the Supreme Court Justice? Uh, Gar- Mer- Garland. Garland. Man- Garland. Man- Merritt, Merritt, Merritt Garland. Merritt, Merritt, Merritt Garland. Right. Um, so um, the, uh, the uh, majority leader... Uh, um, uh, Mitch McConnell said, we're not going to bring up uh, his vote, him for a vote. That's right. Now, that decision ultimately is entirely a political decision. Now, he gave sort of reasons. Well, it's the end of a two-term president, and the, the Senate is a different party than the president, and therefore we want to let the people decide who will be the next president to see if that president aligns with the Senate. Um, And so these are his explanations. But the bottom line is those are explanations for political reasons, meaning he gives those explanations why why he's doing it so as to please the political 
um, classes, but not classes, the voters, to please voters. So right now, uh, with um, Ginsburg having been ill recently, the question has come up. It's been posed in the New York Times amongst many other venues. What would Mitch McConnell do now? Because it would be likely an appointment in the last year of, ter- of Trump's. He already said. Yeah, he said to bring it up. But here's the interesting point. Uh, so it would be the last year of Trump's first term. The Senate and the president would be of the same party. So there are a lot of distinctions. But put that aside. Distinctions aside, the answer is not, well, that, and the Democrats have screamed bloody murder. Because as Dave has said, Mitch McConnell said, well, yes, I would bring up that for a vote in a heartbeat. So the Democrats said, wait, that's not, that's not fair. It's not the same. Well, if you want to argue... I'm the, Mer- the majority leader. Right. So there's a difference. <laughs> and there's a lot of differences. But that notwithstanding, the ultimate answer is it's a political process. I can. Yeah. I can. I was able to hold back Obama's nominee, and I, don't, I wouldn't want to hold back Trump's nominee. I can. That, I give you all that to say that's an example of a purely political process. Uh, and and the, the recourse, if you don't like it, if you're a damn and you don't like it, quote, vote the bums when out. right the next election. Right, exactly. Uh, but that's not what an impeachment is. There's legal aspects and there are political aspects. That's right. Well, there's this thing called the Constitution. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you got to pay it. Supposedly, you're supposed to be paying attention to it. So anyway, how long do you think uh, Nadler's going to take? You think he'll be faster than Schiff? You think he'll well, be Schiff fair? Wasn't, how long was Schiff? He wasn't actually that long, was he? Yeah, it was about six weeks. Oh, was it? Oh, oh I yeah. didn't realize it was quite that long. No, that is kind of long. Yeah. All right. I mean. Uh, Na- I think I think Nadler will be quicker because, I, listen, it's a sham, right? Yeah. <laughs> what, how long did it take? How long did it does it take to get convicted in a Soviet court, in a North Korean court, in a Nazi court, right? Pretty Not quick. very long, right? It's it's like the old joke where they say, "Oh, don't worry, um, you'll get your trial and then you'll be hanged." Yeah. Wait, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Then we'll shoot you. Right, and then we'll shoot you. That's because the way it we works. know the outcome already. Yeah, that's where it works. Okay. Uh, let me play something for you, and then when we come back, I want you to explain it to me, all right? All right, go ahead. Uh, be, my, my headset. Put your headsets on. I'm going to wait. Oh. i got to wait because I want to play. I want to play cut number eight. Go ahead. Uh, okay, here we go. Cut number eight. This is Joe Biden. When we come back, you explain what the heck he's talking about. Is this about. the word jumble? Here we go. No. And by the way, you know, I sit on the stand, and it get hot. I got a lot of I got hairy legs. That turn that 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 that, that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun, and the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down, so it was straight, and then watch the hair come back up again. They look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap, and I've loved kids jumping on my lap. All and right, somebody. What, I'm going to let Robert try. Don't don't dump that. To explain this that, to that us. That steaming pile of, wait, we're going to break? Yeah, we're going to break. <laughs> I got to go to break. Understand, he brought this up in 2017. Oh, my gosh. So he's brought it back up now again in 2019. What is hairy legs and children on Joe Biden's lap have oh, to do gosh. with anything? We'll talk about it. We got to get to the news. Yes, sir. Robert Steinbach right. is here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, a lot of scuttlebutt on Facebook uh, that Lane Kiffin will be the new Razorback coach. 
At 4 o'clock today, there was a team meeting called, and uh, somebody was saying that Kiffin was being brought from the airport to the facility. So looks like maybe Lane Kiffin's going to be the new head football coach for uh, the Razorbacks. I don't know how to feel about it. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and see what happens. You keeping your mouth shut? Yeah, I am on this one. Fair enough. You know, well, you know me. I have to keep I, my mouth I, shut because I'm a, I'm a nerd. I don't know from sports. I put my 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 two cents in. You got the one of the best football coaches sitting out there right now on his hands. Probably could be talked into Who's taking that? Uh, Urban Meyer. Yeah. You could you know Florida, Ohio State, Utah, Utah. Every one of those programs went on to have fantastic programs, if not a. Uh, national championship. I guess Florida and and Ohio State, not Utah. Yeah, Utah came before, but they um, with Alex Smith, who of yeah. course played quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, he was his quarterback at Utah. Yep. Well, you, you know my level of knowledge about sports, right? Football. That's the one with the funny shaped ball, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> funny shape is correct. That's about as that's how that's how advanced I am when it comes to the knowledge of. Uh, but that's the word what we're right. hearing right now. I'm not going to talk about it. That's the word mm-hmm. we're, we heard. No, what we're going to talk about is this. Here is Joe Biden, uh, cut number eight. And by the way, you know, I sit on the stand, and it get hot. I got a lot of. I got hairy legs. That turn that 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 that, that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun, and the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down, so it was straight, and then watch the hair come back up again. They look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap, and I've loved kids jumping on my lap. Okay. And I tell you but- what. We're just going to leave that. All right, that last part, I'm not going to touch. No, I'm not touching But the that. other part, the two things I got <laughs> is the hairy legs, and then at the very end, he throws roaches in. Roaches? Kids, he likes kids sitting on his lap and hairy legs. Playing leg. with his hairy legs. Dave, here's my <laughs> plea to the Democrats. Of course, I hope in some respects the Democrats pick the weakest candidate amongst them, right? Because then... Trump has a better chance to beat the weaker candidate. Yeah. That's politics. That's how politics works. Sure. I'm not telling you anything you don't well know more than I do. But the flip side is there's we we've almost never had an election that was a slam dunk. Uh maybe maybe Reagan's second election. Yeah, right? over Mondale. Right. Maybe that was a slam dunk. Nixon's McGovern. Yeah. Uh but as a general matter And certainly, I think it's fair to say, I think even the the folks uh, in the Trump campaign would say, no, no, it's not a slam dunk. So we've got to win the election. If we've got to win the election, then that means, of course, there's a chance that Trump can lose the election. Don't have that guy as the alternative, Democrats. Do the country a favor. He has lost it. That guy is off his... Listen to him. Everybody, I don't know about everybody, but you take my point. Most folks know someone, had a grandmother, a grandfather, a great uncle, etc., or friends of the family. An older person has gone senile, be it Alzheimer's or another reason for the senility. 
And by the way, you know, you meet these people, and when it progresses, it progresses. It can be rather painful for the family. But early on, you know, they forget things, and they're a little goofy, and it's like, oh yeah, hey, you know, you remember this, don't you? Oh yeah, I do. My mother had. As you recall, she was on very strong chemotherapy, and she didn't. She had what they call chemo brain. You may have heard, right? The I've chem- never heard that. Oh, really? No. Yeah. So basically, it refers to the fact that when someone's on chemo, often not always, um, it can affect temporarily their mental capacities. Sometimes permanently, by the way. Sometimes permanently. Now, my mother died. Um, so uh, we don't know because we were never able to sort of win over the, the cancer. But towards the end, uh, she definitely had her, her memory was affected. And she even said she loved to read. And we would give her a book and she looked up and she said, I can't read it. Not because I can't read. She, she was conscious of the fact. She said, but I can't follow the story. I can't remember the story after I start reading it. So she was conscious that the, the chemicals had mm. affected her, her brain. But my point is that th- those comments that he just made, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like someone you know who's become senile or is affected by chemo. It sounds like dementia to me. Right. Some for, that all of these that I've described come under the rubric of dementia. That is exactly right. It sounds like a form of dementia. Now I'm not. Uh, first of all, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not practicing medicine without whatever. Right. Meaning sometimes when doctors start diagnosing on the radio, that can be dangerous. I'm not a doctor. This is just my layman's uh, sort of um, description. But with that said. It sounds like this kind of, I use it colloquially, perhaps not medically, dementia. It's a problem. It is really a problem. Now, they, we, we saw hints of it you know, during Reagan's second term. Very little, because his dementia really came But up. when he left the office, right. they released that That's right. he was moving rapidly That's right. into it. That's right. And I am not making the claim... That Joe Biden is moving in any direction, but these comments, these comments sound in dementia. I'm sorry, that's my that's my interpretation. So, for the good of the country, I hope the Democrats uh, don't nominate uh, Joe Biden. Frankly, the flip side is, one could argue for the good of the country. I hope they do because it'll be easier for Trump, Trump to, to get be reelected. Them. Yeah. Yep, so it's really it's, it's a hard thing to answer, but I think it's more dangerous to have someone like that nominated. All right. So you'll remember we've talked about the different people who are running for the nomination Democratic uh, campaign. Of course. And the one that we've zeroed in on, I've always said that Gabbard seemed like pretty level-headed at times. And then I go to read about her some more, and she's as lefty as a lot of them. Amy Klobuchar has been one that you have always said sounded a lot more... uh, Level-headed. Now, right. here's what we say, both of us say. We would never vote for either one. She's still a lefty. She's just yeah. a little bit less lefty than some of the more lefties on the stage. Yeah, but listen to yeah. this. I know. She said something recently, didn't did she? You that hear, was really cool. Did cookie. you hear about the uh, one- and two-year decree thing? No. Tell me, that oh, one I did I'm going to play this tell me for this. you. This is two minutes long, but listen closely to this, because this proves that Amy Klobuchar is as far left as the as far the leftists of, oh go. Oh, my goodness. Let's hear A big debate on the campaign trail this week has been about four-year college. You do not support free four-year college, I should say. Um, You say you're not for, quote, sending rich kids to college for free. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez called that point of view a, quote, GOP talking point, saying universal systems should benefit everyone and rich kids would go to elite private schools anyway. How do you respond? 
Well, first, I think she was responding to an ad that uh, Mayor Buttigieg had put out. But you have the same position. Yes, but in fact, I've had this position from the very beginning at the CNN town hall, in uh, which I made very clear, and I made my mark with this position. But I would have done a different kind of ad that might have brought um, some people with me more. And that is this. Let us look at our economic needs and match them to our education system. And that means making it easier and more affordable for kids to go to college by doubling Pell Grants. Uh, that also means making loan repayments much easier. But what would I make free? The one and two year degrees. Why? Fastest growing area of jobs. But not, not giving it to a shortage of MBAs or CEOs. But not giving it to everyone. Is that a GOP talking point? No, I don't think it is. I think it's a talking point for our economy, and let me explain why. We're not going to have a shortage of MBAs or CEOs. We're going to have a shortage of plumbers in the next 10 years. We're are going to have 74,000 openings for electricians. We're going to have over a million openings for home health care workers. The way you, you approach this is by saying, let's make it easier for people to afford school. Let's try to direct people into the areas we know we're going to have jobs. And let's respect the dignity of work. For those jobs that don't pay as well, let's make sure people have access to child care and retirement, higher minimum wage, making it easier to organize unions. That is a different message than just a negative message. There's a lefty message. You know, and, it's and, and Let me just ask yeah, something, ahead, Robert. Yeah. As we listen to that, and she says one or two-year degrees, and she talks about the cost to four-year degrees, by the time she gets to the very end of that, and she's talking about free health care and unionizing and all the rest, a one- or two-year degree is going to be as expensive as a four-year degree. The problem with her claim is, as with many politicians, that they don't think through what they're saying. It's all about what's the most politically expedient. Is Her claim about the four-year degree not being free is why would you give a free degree to someone who's wealthy? She's absolutely right about that. Right? We shouldn't be subsidizing the wealthy uh, just to do it across the board. Right? You don't, for example, in schools, you don't give out free lunch to all the kids. The rich kids don't need a free lunch. Mm-hmm. You give it to the poor kids because they need a free lunch. So you have to come up with a mechanism by which they they can give in a chit or they have a card or whatever. Who cares? But there's a method. So the poor kids get a free lunch and the, and the rich kids pay for lunch. So what? That's fine. That's her claim. That's logical. That's what progressive taxation, I don't mean progressive as in liberal, but I mean a system of taxation that accounts for one's wealth. Like means. we have now. Right, like we have today. So she says that's why for, for four-year schools, they won't be free. But then she goes on to aptly say, correctly say, we're going to increase the number of Pell Grants. Well, what are Pell Grants? I mean, aptly in the sense, I don't know if Pell Grants are better than some other grants, but all these grants. It's taxpayers' money. Right, but to poor people. So it is a, it is a system to, to address the needs of the poor while not compensating the rich. So her position so far on four-year college is consistent. And then she says, but two years, that'll be free. But wait, what? Free for everybody? Rich kids too? And then she goes, well, we need plumbers. And Wait, so you're assuming everybody who goes into plumbing uh, is poor? I don't think that's true. By the way, looking back, I'm very glad that I went into law. I enjoy uh, immensely, indeed, being a law professor. I enjoyed very much practicing law. But I've seen plumbers... And electricians, those two trades specifically work. I gotta tell you, I I think it's fascinating work, uh, and they okay. they can they can get compensated well if they if they do good work. Yes, can, you know. In any event, so her claim, she goes, well, I make those free. 
You've just said exactly the opposite. You've drawn no distinction. So I, I think she wasn't thinking it th uh, through, uh, and therefore it was just a politically expedient comment to make. But make no bones about it, Dave. She's absolutely uh, a, a lefty, not quite as lefty, I'll stick by my position, as some of those other lefties up there on that stage. Uh, and as she points out, by the way, although I, I think one can see it on, on, uh, as apparent, she's got a demeanor that is more Midwestern than coastal, uh, and that's very appealing uh, to most of the country. And this, by the way, is coming from someone who originally is from the coast, as you know. But I'm a bit of an anomaly in that I am... Uh, conservative and from the coast. But my demeanor, this is why, by the way, people, you know, Trump, well, he should tone it down a little bit. Maybe, maybe not. But one of the reasons he's not as toned down is because he's coastal. That The demeanor is a little he's bit... He's East Coast. Right, he's East Coast. And, through. and so when people say, well, you know, he's in Trump a little bit over the top, uh, maybe, maybe not. But what you don't compared to the South, yes, right, and that's and but I originally come from from the coast, and so it's just yeah. not that uncommon to see that. And even on occasion, I dare say, Zach's going to nod his head in disagreement. I dare say that I might get a bit vociferous myself. Now, d d Zach's nodding his head, but I think for a very different reason at this point. Here's here is the key. Here's the key about the East Coast. Look, I went to college in the South. Where'd you go to college? Uh, Moorhead State oh, University. Nice, nice. I was a teak. That's right? the, their... Uh... Yeah, tall kappa epsilon. Oh, I see. Okay. I was a fraternity guy. I see. Oh, I see. Many of I my... I was not. Yeah, I know you were. <laughs> many of my brothers, many of my brothers were from Ch Cherry Hill, New, New Jersey. Jersey. Yeah, I know Cherry Hill. And near... uh, Paul Cosma, my little brother, was from Cherry Hill. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And let me tell you what. I was from up around Chicago. You get city kids around each other, and they can become very boisterous. That's right. That's and, right. And very full of themselves. And uh, that happened a lot when the about eight of us got around each other. And uh, we would just raise H-E double hockey sticks. Right. And we would say things to people that in the South they thought was unbelievably rude. Right. Okay. That's where Trump comes from. That's right. That's right. It's a that's different, where Trump comes uh, from. Right. You get hit in the face by somebody and you're from that area, you hit them back in the face. That's right. It's just the way it is. That's right. And I know that's hard for people to understand, but that is the way, that is the differences in our country. That's right. That's exactly right. So I just right. want everybody to know that. All right. It's cultural differences. It's but, absolutely true. And, and I think, frankly, that... Uh, that's uh, what makes America great, by the way. I think that's right. I, I think that's I right. think it's definitely right. I think that's right. Yeah. And if you don't like it, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. There you go. Let's take a break. I've learned. I've a lot of people ask why I don't get at people so much like I used to on my show, and I've been in the South too long. It's taken some of that edge off of me. Some of that sharpness has left me because uh, you know I'm just going to tell them no. You know, God bless their pea picking heart. I'm just telling you. Exactly. All right? God, God bless you. That's right. Okay, we'll take the break. But deep in my heart, you know what I think of you. There we'll you take know. a break here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Now, I don't know if we got enough time or not here to finish it up, but I, I want to play another piece of audio that I led my show off with. Mm -hmm. And it was from Elizabeth Warren. Mm -hmm. Now, she's a lefty. Now, 
Here's what she had to say. I'm listening. As a presidential candidate, what are your thoughts on the Electoral College? Uh, I want to get rid of it. So here's my goal. My goal is to get elected and then to be the last American president elected by the Electoral College. I want the second term to be that I got elected by direct vote. I'm ready. Popular vote. Listen to this now. Listen. Um, I just think this is how a democracy should work. Wrong. Call me old-fashioned, but I think the person who gets the most votes should win. Wrong. That's wrong. I'm in. Elizabeth, that's wrong. Number one, you don't live in a democracy. You live in a republic. Different concepts. You know that. Wasn't she a history teacher at one time? She was. She was. A, she taught in grade school, maybe history, and then she, of course, was a law professor. Yeah. Well, law professor, she knows the Constitution. So well, she should understand be, that to, it's a, a to, republic. To, to be fair for her. Yeah, you're right on that point. Her claim, I think, is a broader claim. I, I don't agree with it, but I don't think it's an entirely illegitimate claim. We have a system that is weighted, weighted so that the coasts can't overwhelm the elections. Yeah, Be- the flyover area. Right, uh, because there's a lot more population uh, per square mile, per whatever area on the coast than there uh, are in the middle of the country. So our system is designed to to offset that somewhat. Mm-hmm. But by that, it means that, in a sense, the folks in the middle um, get to soften the vote of the, the votes on the periphery, on the, That's on the coast. That's what the system does. It's also to give the states some say. Right. To that, and in fact, historically, that's the basis. The basis for the Electoral College is to recognize that states are electing the president. Remember, we, originally we didn't have direct election of presidents at all. It was done through the senators, I believe, uh, or through the state senate, through the state houses. I forget, but it was an indirect election system, uh, and so we did away with indirect election, but we kept the electoral college. And as you alluded to, and as I mentioned, there are legitimate bases for doing that. With all of that said, I will concede the following. One can reasonably or one can take the position that they want to do away with the Electoral College without it being a nutbird uh, position. I don't agree with it, but it's not a nutbird. It is another system by which you could have voting. I think it makes sense not to let the coasts overwhelm all elections. And that's what will happen if you do away with the Electoral College. And for that reason, I oppose it. She's from the coast. She's from Massachusetts. She wants the coasts to overwhelm the votes. And in much smaller countries, of course, they have different systems too. So put that, you got to take that into account. But like England or France or Germany, they don't have what would be the equivalent of the electoral system. No, they, right. and, and that's why all the people who want the elector, uh, don't want the electoral system should go back to the monarchy. You go go all the way back, right? Yeah, going go. back, man. Right, have at it. Right, you know, live live in England or France or wherever you want to live at, 
But that's not us. No, it's not us. But to, to be fair, again, Dave, I, I hope this doesn't come out even as closely suggesting that I think it is a good idea. But she's proposing a change. Let's, let's say she was proposing that uh, we change our flag. We do away with the American flag, and she said, I want a three-color flag like they have in Europe. You know, you ever look at a European flag, Dave? You can't tell them apart. One is green with the red stripe and the blue. Who knows? So maybe she would suggest. Now, I think that's not a good idea, but uh, I don't think the halls of justice would collapse if we did so. Obviously, we've got history in the American flag, the same way we've got history in the Electoral College, plus a very strong, legitimate basis to maintain it. But she's proposing a policy change. She could, Look, you could propose a constitutional Except amendment. Except that yeah, that's right. exactly how it's got to be done, and it will take a whole, that would be a hell of a battle. Oh, it's not going to happen. That's I, exactly, I agree, but well, it would be another, a hell of a battle. And you raise a very uh, important point, which is it's obviously a political talking point because it will never happen. It has to be done through the Constitution. It will never happen. So she can make, you know, all you people that think Hillary got robbed, vote for me because I'm Hillary 2.0. You know, that's really <laughs> what's going on here. It's, it's pure politics. So you bring up an intensely salient point by uh, highlighting the fact that it will never happen. Most states are conservative. We'll take a break. We'll come back after the news. Robert Steinbach, Dave Ellswick, Dave Ellswick Show, 1011 FM, The Answer. about several stories earlier today now that we have robert here some of them get into legal matters like the electoral college which we just talked about but let's talk about the supreme court uh they were in session today and uh, they were meeting and it was dealing with a uh, new york situation in fact, uh, here I'm trying to find the story. The article. Let me yeah. get to yeah, it. Yeah. So it's I a, can. As you look for it, uh, I'll sort of give the highlights. But the story okay. is important. That in New York, New York City, to be clear, folks. I just want to remind you, of course, as you likely well know, there's New York State. And then there is New York City. It's not the capital city. Albany is the capital of New York. But it is by far, of course, the largest city in the state uh, and uh, has an overwhelming population size uh, compared to the entire state and it's overwhelmingly liberal now that's not entirely the case there are five boroughs to new york and staten island is largely republican and so for, on occasion you see republican um, congress people from staten island but uh, the mayor um, is a democrat and m- most city elected officials are uh, generally Democrats. And they passed a law that said if you own a gun in New York City, you can't take it anywhere. You can keep it in your house, basically. You can't even take License it. locked right. or unloaded. Right. Can't take it. No. You, want to, you want to take it out of town to go to a range? Nope. Not allowed. Not allowed. Nope. 
Want to show it to your neighbor? Not allowed. Not allowed. So, and just to own a handgun, you need a license in New York City. In fact, in fact, in New York State, uh, you need a license. Uh, Years ago, when I lived in New York, I had a license, and it was a target license, which meant you were entitled to bring the gun unloaded to and from a target range. That's it. That's it. Uh, But that's New York State. And New York City was more restrictive. Correct. more restrictive. So someone sued on this law saying, you have eviscerated my Second Amendment rights. And it's gone all the way to the Supreme Court. And then the the city got scared. And so they changed the law. Because they thought they would lose. Right. And they said, never mind. Never mind. Do over. Uh, But as it stands, it's still before the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court is able to decide that issue should it want to. It can also get rid of the case, too, though. So it really puts a lot of power in the hands of the court. All right. Well, the court heard arguments today. And this is the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus the city of New York. And you heard, I mean, Robert just told you, laid it out for you, exactly what's going on concerning this. And uh, so the city statute statute was later amended, got rid of a lot of this stuff that was in it that they knew went against Columbia versus Heller. I think that's what it was. Yeah, D.C. versus Heller. Yeah. That's right. Uh, But the court heard arguments over the original measure anyway, saying that there were things in it that needed to be litigated. The Democrats, and uh, specifically uh, the three women on the court who are the liberal, the, the solid liberal wing, right? said, we don't have to hear this anymore. Right. Not necessary. You know, Sotomayor right. and all those. Right. You know, don't need to hear it. Right. So, so I'm saying since they changed the law, it's okay for the Supreme Court to say, well, we're going to hear this because that's what was brought before us. They can as with anything before the Supreme Court, of course, it's all discretionary because this, the Supreme Court, unlike any other court in the federal system, is discretionary. They decide what cases to hear and what not to hear, and it, it has no meaning if they decide not to hear a case. So that the case has come forward now on this law, uh, the, the court is entitled to litigate it. Uh, one argument is the issue is moot. Because the law has been eviscerated. The, but, li- the judges, right. uh, Ginsburg, right. Kagan, and, and, and Sotomayor, Sotomayor. Right. the practitioners have gotten the relief that they sought. Right. Uh, this is Ginsburg speaking. A case in which the other side is thrown in the towel and completely given you every single thing you demanded in your complaint for relief. Right. So the flips, So that's a valid legal argument. There is another legal argument that says even if an issue, a specific issue, is mooted, that a court may nonetheless decide that issue if it's likely to be repeated yet uh, unable to be litigated uh, in that circumstance. And so there are doctrines that allow courts to hear cases even though the individual litigant may not still be pursuing the cause of action. So... Basically, they can go either way in terms of hearing the case. So they're saying that, and and here's how I would think about it. If 
politicians can change the law because they think that it may end up in front of the Supreme Court. Somebody got to them and said, you don't want to do this because you'll lose. And so they rewrote the law so that, uh, you know, it's not going to run aground on the uh, Supreme Court. And so you change it. What's to keep you from after they turn it down and then it's going to make its way through the court system again to try to rechange the law once again and just right, play a game words, with it. The case gets dismissed, and then next year the city uh, reenacts the law that they did away with. That's right. We and made then a mistake. Go, we should have stayed with what we had. That's right. And then they got to go all the way through that process again. And it's for that reason that the court could still hear the case. Well, that's good. I that's hope exactly that they right. do. This will be the first time, if this does fall upon this, uh, the Second Amendment, uh, that there has been a direct case about the Second Amendment since Heller. Right. That's almost 10 years. It's almost a decade. This, right. This, the court has been really, I think, negligent in hearing Second Amendment cases. Do you agree with that? I think that might be an overstatement. I think they did some very positive uh, work, some excellent work with Heller, and then there was a subsequent case to Heller that applied that ruling to the states because Heller... In Chicago. Built, it was that where it was, yeah. yeah. So it, it, there's a bit of a technicality yeah, because... McDonald. He, McDonald. He, Heller dealt with Washington, D.C. That's a federal jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. The laws that apply to federal jurisdiction don't necessarily apply to the states in the same fashion. And the court said unless they are essentially fundamental rights. And the court said, indeed, the Second Amendment is a fundamental right in this subsequent case, and therefore the the Second Amendment applies to the states in the same way that it applies to federal jurisdictions. Uh, So those were two very, excuse me, very big cases. Didn't, Didn't they also say that it was not a corporate right, but an individual right? They said it was an individual uh, right, not a collective right. That's that, correct. Right, okay. That's right. Corporate. That's right. Okay. That's right. In other words, because the, there is the language of the Second Amendment is not the clearest, but of course that's how legislation often is, right? Because it's compromise writing. So it says something to the effect of, and I don't have it memorized, folks. I apologize. Wink, wink. Meaning I don't have to have it memorized. But the the Second Amendment essentially says something akin to. Uh, For the purposes of maintaining a well-ordered militia, individuals shall have the right to bear arms. So it gives this purpose up front for militia, which suggests this sort of collective militia right, but then it explicitly says individuals shall have this right. And so, again, the, the left said, well, we think the first clause is more important, and then the conservatives said, we think history and the language supports it being an individual right. I agree with that. By the way, I agree with it on policy grounds, but I agree with it on legal interpretation grounds as well. But again, I don't think that the left's argument was completely nonsensical because they had a hook to, to hang their hat on, yeah. so to speak. But I think they were ultimately wrong, and the, and the majority of the court said so. Luckily, uh, on policy, uh, meaning from a policy perspective, luckily as well. Was that not probably one of the biggest wins for Scalia? It's a good question. It certainly was a a, a remarkable uh, magnum opus, one might argue, for Scalia's jurisprudence. But I give Scalia a lot of credit on a lot of cases, and I don't agree, by the way, on every case that he's done. Nobody does. 
But he really, he made an effort, I thought, to have a fidelity to the language of the Constitution. And so he fundamentally changed some of the process by which uh, uh, civil, excuse me, criminal uh, defendants uh, have in trial to the benefit of the criminal defendants because he, he said, I don't have a choice. The Constitution says That's so. right, because he was an originalist. That's right. That's right. That's really important. It's very important. It's very important. He says the language of the Constitution must be, first of all, understood plainly, and second of all, must be understood as the words were generally understood at the time that they were written. Now, that only gets you so far, but it gets you further than the make-believe standard. It's alive and breathing. Right. It's just silly. Yeah. That's just silly. You know, I remember reading Shakespeare when I was in high school, and I said to the teacher, I don't know what that means. It's in this old English, of course, right? And he said, mm-hmm. well, in, a, that, in old English, this means such and such. Why? Because we've got to look at what the words meant when they were then, said. That's then, correct. not now, right now. Who, nobody says herewith, right? Nobody uses that kind of locution now. The Constitution is obviously not so antiquated in terms of the language, but still, the relevant meaning of the words should be understood as they were used at the time. It's not a complicated theory. No, I don't believe it is either. But it's going to be very interesting to see if they rule on this as not just a legality, so to speak, of the law, but on how this affects the Second Amendment. Uh, Because uh, I'll be honest with you, court has been... has stood back from that a little bit. They didn't, haven't wanted to really, I don't think, get involved with that, so to speak. Maybe you disagree. I don't know. But I, I just don't think that they've been. That might be the case. It's hard to say. It might be the case. I that don't might, know what, now, I that don't, might change if they get another conservative on the court. Right. But, of course, part of the question is the court can only decide cases that are offered up to it. I don't know Correct. what cases came up uh, on certain, which is the perhaps fancy way of saying it, but it just means what cases were presented to the Supreme Court for decision. You know, if nobody came, I'm not saying it happened, but let's say nobody came up in the last 10 years with a gun case. I doubt that's the case. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But then but you got to have four justices that want to hear it. want to hear it. Exactly. That's All exactly right. right. How about that? Don't even have to have a majority. No, that's right. It's an interesting theory. I, I, I think I like it or an interesting uh, process. And that is, look, just to hear it, a little bit less than majority. To win, majority. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You got to have the majority there. Right. All right. So let's take a break. Yep. We come back. We got other stories to talk about. I'm sure. But that was one that... It's uh, a very interesting That story, uh, Elizabeth and I kind of tackled, but I admit it, and I rightly admit, that I'm not any kind of a constitutional scholar, and Robert is much closer to that than I am. So I always like to get him into the discussion about that. If you've got a question, A two three O nine six five doesn't have to be about the Constitution, by the way. It can be about anything that's going on dealing with uh the political movements at the time. All that's coming your way when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick show. Okay, so when Trump declared that he was going to run for president back in, what was it, 2015? Was that when he made his decision? I think that's right. Okay, so in 15, and he came down the escalator, right. he gave a speech. I laugh because everybody makes that like it's a big deal. Who yeah. cares, right? And so he, he gave his speech, and he said, I'm running for president. But then he backed it up by going out and starting to speak 
at Republican events. One of the first was right here in uh, Hot Springs. I didn't know that. In Arkansas, I yeah. I didn't know that. We were the first Republican uh, uh, state uh, par- uh, party affiliation that had him here. Isn't that Doyle interesting? Doyle Webb got him here. Well, good and good he for Doyle. Gr- he did a great job on bringing Doyle. him. I mean, he brought Palin here. He's brought right. Trump here. He's been on the front of that and has done a great job. Well, you might recall, I just... It reminds me. I think I was, even then, I think I already was in New York with my mother taking care of her with the cancer treatment. And I had intended to be back shortly because I thought, oh, well, we'll do three months of treatment. We'll bang it out, whatever. And I kept having to extend uh, the my stay there uh, because of the unfortunate treatment, uh, meaning the length of the treatment, which went on. We were never able to get ahead of it. And... Uh, I had also intended to come back just to vote. I mean, I had intended to be back to vote. And uh, unfor- as you know, I, for well over a year, I was on your show, Dave, just talking as Trump was running, strongly endorsing him. Yeah. But, you know, I didn't actually get to vote in that election. I didn't in time even plan for a, uh, what do you call it, an absentee ballot because right. I fully expected to be back. Didn't but, get you out. Know, uh, I mean, uh, of course, I knew Trump would well win Arkansas in any event. Uh, but I, 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 I try to vote every time I, I can, every time I'm, you know, there's an election. Uh, but this one, uh, if, if, I were ever to, if there were ever a reason to miss voting, uh, I think I probably had a pretty good uh, excuse. Yeah, I think you did. If you know what I'm saying. All right, so let's talk about Michael Bloomberg. What's yeah. the difference about what Michael Bloomberg is doing and what Donald Trump did? Uh, he's begun his bid now for the presidency with a rollout you can call unconventional right. to be charitable. In fact, the big splash was news of his $37 million tel- television ad buy. Right. Then there was an overstuffed campaign bile spot in which the candidate's voice wasn't heard and campaign trips to two states that don't hold primaries for months. Bloomberg has held no rallies sat for no one-on-one interviews with the news media, avowed the early primary states entirely, and opened himself to criticism from his Democratic rivals that he is trying to buy the nomination. The savvy take on Twitter, and in much of uh, D.C., is that this is little more than a vanity run for the presidency, a play for the political affinities of the pundit class of the Acela Corridor. A low-energy answer to a question no Democrat is asking. Bloomberg is, as he puts it himself, a short Jewish divorce billionaire from Manhattan. He is an avowed defender of Wall Street. He's been an apologist for hashtag MeToo offenders. He oversaw a police department that stopped and frisked half a million primarily young men of color a year. Now, keep in mind, I don't think you're against the stop and frisk program. No, no. Even putting all that aside... He is audaciously pledging to skip the first four primary states. But, according as the story points out, each of those things or something very much likely was true the first time he ran for office. In 2001, Bloomberg was a political unknown with a lot of money and no real ties to the party whose nomination he was seeking. He had a history of inappropriate comments. The media treated him as a joke. Polls gave him almost no shot at winning. The public tired of his will-he-or-won't-he dance about actual running, and when he did finally jump into the race, he proved to be an indifferent and wooden campaigner. 
Yet less than a year after announcing he was a candidate, he was the 108th mayor of New York. And now two decades later, he's running for president in more or less the exact same way. So when we come back, I'll talk about how Bloomberg can become president according to this article. Right, right. I think it's a long shot. Sure, I think all of them are long shots, though, in the Democratic primary right now because we have, what, over a dozen candidates. So, sure, I think he's a long shot, but he's got a lot of money. It helps. And we can talk about it after the break. Yeah, let's do that. I want to get into this and see what you think about it. Because, you know, for anybody who says, well, he's just doing everything completely wrong, that's the exact same thing they said about Trump. Yeah, and I I actually don't think he's doing everything wrong. I think he's done some things wrong, and I think he's done some things right for the Democratic primary, and that's what he's running in. So, look— uh, you put a bunch of money in, it helps. Tom Steyer put a bunch of money in. And it didn't help. It didn't help. But Tom Steyer is an odd, an odd duck. Looks a little like a duck, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Howard the duck, man. Exactly. All right, let's take a break for the yes, news. Sir. Then yes, Robert sir. and I will be back, and let's talk a little bit more about Bloomberg, because what you don't want him to do is fly under the radar. That's right. That's Here's right. the news. All right, so from this article, which was written by Political, which is not, okay, let me just say to you, is not a bastion of conservative thought. Gosh, no. Them or the Hill, just so Gosh, you know. No. To understand how Bloomberg can become president, they say, it's worth considering how he became mayor. By executing and succeeding with a plan no less unlikely than running for president and skipping Iowa and New Hampshire. Before he ran, this writer says, I said to him, do you know what guys like me do to guys like you? Said Bill Cunningham, a longtime uh, Democratic operative who became Bloomberg's top strategist and later his spokesman. The implication was clear. We fillet people like you. Wealthy men with political ambitions alive. In 2001, candidate Bloomberg forged a path that seemed almost dauntingly difficult, but he pulled it off by recognizing an unusual opening and quickly moving to capitalize it. It was a campaign that relied on a lot of things going right for him, but also made sure that his candidacy was well-positioned to exploit his advantage whenever and wherever he could. It's not crazy to think he could do it again. Buzz had begun building in the summer of 2000 that Bloomberg was at the time worth $4 billion. Now $54 billion. Hmm. Uh, was I'll con- take two. And he was considering a run for mayor as Rudy Giuliani's term was ending. Right. The smart play for Bloomberg, it seemed, would be to run as a Democrat. Mm-hmm. It was the party that Bloomberg belonged to his whole life and conveniently for his prospects. Democrats outnumbered Republicans 5 to 1 in New York City. 5 to 1. Count those numbers. Yeah. Giuliani wasn't all that popular either. In the spring of 2000, he was facing a 37% approval rating in New York. Then Bloomberg polled the prospect of running in the Democratic primary. According to Kevin Sheiky, his longtime political aide and one of more than a dozen Bloomberg aides and associates interviewed for this story, the poll came back with bad news for Bloomberg's chances. Beyond the polling, the primary was crowded in the city's interest groups Labor unions and civic organizations have been courted relentlessly by other candidates for the previous eight years. So he decided it couldn't be done. And so in 2000, 
With the election more than a year away, he changed his registration to the Republican Party. He began courting Giuliani, having what the New York Times called a supplicant-like breakfast at Gracie Mansion, the mayor's official residence in late 2000. It was the beginning of a delicate dance that would continue through the election. Bloomberg needed Giuliani's support, especially in the primary, in which a former top Giuliani administration official, Herman Badillo, represented Bloomberg's biggest threat in the GOP nominating contest. I am not here to run as Rudy Giuliani, Bloomberg said at his campaign kickoff, quickly adding, he has made the city better, and for the groups that don't hate him, he has made the city better based on numbers. After 9-11, Giuliani gave a final tepid endorsement to Bloomberg, one literally so quiet that reporters in attendance could barely hear him, but it was enough to allow the Bloomberg campaign to run ads of the two of them on television in a near nonstop loop. In addition to wooing the Republican mayor, Bloomberg made another uh, move to assure wary Republicans of his devotion to his party. He donated money to the five-county Republican parties in New York City. Okay, this all sounds well and good. Let me just ask this of you, Robert. None of that plays where he's at right now, unless he's going to make big money, make big contributions to the Democratic you know, DNC or something. Yeah, it doesn't play because he has to win a primary that is leftist. We've, of course, talked about this issue for some time, not only today, but a year at least, right? So he has to win in a leftist primary, and what he did in in running for mayor was the opposite. Even though he was moderately left, he was moderately so. And so he realized he wouldn't win in that primary, so he'd run as a Republican, where he the Republicans in New York City tend to be fairly uh, moderate. And so he figured, well, I can win that primary, and then sweep up the Democratic voters, as, by the way, Giuliani did. Uh, So it's certainly not impossible to win as a Republican in New York City. It's challenging. Don't get me wrong. And I think every Republican who ran for mayor and won did so at the time uh, being pro-choice. Giuliani has since come out um, uh, pro-life. But when he was mayor, my recollection is he, like every other Republican who won, was pro-choice. So showing the sort of uh, moderation. By moderation, that's not a compliment or an insult, meaning moving towards the left as opposed to uh, if you're in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party would be moving towards the right, of course. It's moving towards the middle, in fact, is what it is. And so if you're a Republican and you're moving towards the left, that's an obvious area in which you uh, could change in yeah. any event, I don't think that uh, th- that approach. We know that approach can't work. He's not running in the Republican primary, and he's not leftist enough generally to win the Democratic primary. That doesn't mean he can't win, but that tactic is not one applicable here. Now, I, I just think that this time his hills are too high; to, they're almost insurmountable. The only question is whether or not. Are there enough Democrats that will vote for him because they think he's the only one who can win? That, that's, that's one question and perhaps the most important question. And relatedly, 
How does showing up with $50 billion of personal money work in that regard to propel you forward? Tom Steyer showed up with billions, and he ain't doing great. He's on the stage. He's literally buying his votes to be on the stage, um, but he's not doing great. He's, as we discussed before the break, a bit of an odd character. Now, Blumberg's a little bit odd, too. Yeah, he is. You had, you had mentioned that one of the commercials never had his voice in the commercial. And it's because he, like me, by the way, has a bit of a squeaky voice. I don't particularly like my voice. I've heard people compliment it, but I've heard people not compliment it or insult it as well. Whatever. I don't, I don't particularly love my voice. Uh, and uh, Blumberg doesn't have a great voice. So maybe that's why his uh, voice is not in that commercial. Yeah, I, I just I don't know. Uh, I think there's enough bad blood out there right now that he is just trying to buy the election. He might have been able to get away with that in New York City. It's right. a, it's a different story giving it to the county uh, group when you're and 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 you're giving you know five hundred million dollars to the DNC. Yeah, he can't throw money to a party to win in the presidential election. It's just not going to happen. What he can do is use that money to get his votes up in the primaries so as to win the primaries and caucuses. I put it, of course, all under the same heading. Mm -hmm. But we know that money is not – we've always said money is a significant factor in politics. It's always been the case. But what we've learned, for example, from the last from the Republican primary was money was not the dispositive factor. Yes, Trump by far was the richest, but he didn't have the biggest uh, amount of money up front, right? And, Jim, he, and he did not spend, spend his, a ton of money his own money crazy, right? And so uh, by by the money factor, I think Jeb Bush in the beginning was spending far more. Money. Oh yeah, and of course he couldn't hold on. So money is a factor. And it's very simple. Money allows you to buy ad space, allows you to get two things. One, name identity. Name identity in politics is very important. The this, this simple ability of the electorate to recall your name propels you ahead of someone whose name they see on the ballot who they don't recognize at all, perhaps obviously. Secondly, it allows you to spread your message. So if you get five commercials on and say, I'm for these five things, and you're a voter and say, you know, I'm for those five things. Who's for those five things? Well, I heard that guy on the radio, mm-hmm. heard that guy on television saying he's right, so I'll vote for him. So that's how money translates to votes. It's not complicated, folks. That's why all the politicians raise money that's to do why exactly that. Money is the mother's milk of politics. That's right. But it's not the only thing. I agree. Uh, and so Trump proves that. That's right. Although he was the richest guy by far. But again, he didn't spend the most money. Most of his money came from donations. Yeah, yeah. He didn't put, and of course, the, the, the Democrats chided him. Well, you didn't, you said you were going to spend all this money. You didn't spend that much money. So? So in any Maybe event, I'm smarter than you. Right. So I, uh, and, and again, Steyer is an example of where spending your money, Steyer's ability to spend his money has got him on the stage. Because he's buying votes. What he does is he spends like $10 to reach out per person or some – for every dollar raised, he spends $10 of his own money to get his name identity before 
uh, the electorate so he can get up high enough in the polls so that he can get on that stage. So he's bought his way onto the stage. So but that's here's the problem. Right. Yeah. He gets up on the stage, and what he says doesn't resonate that's exactly with right. the people watching that's exactly the debates. Right. That's exactly right. Because he's, he's not as left as the lefties are. It's, that may be the case. It's kind he of is hard. environmentally, but that's about it. Yeah, it's kind of hard to tell because it's kind of a one-trick pony, and people see that, and they're kind of tired of him. And, you know, he's literally the guy that wears the same tie every, to every event, every day. He's got five of them or so. And it's, it's a kind of a silly affectation. He's got several silly affectations. One is the tie. Uh, two is the impeach, impeach, impeach. Yeah, we get it. Everybody on that stage wants to impeach Donald Trump. But that's your, that's your only thing. So uh, that's, you, a candidate can spend money to get on the stage, but then he's got to do more. Steyer has not done so. Blumberg, I think, would be a be- it will be a better candidate than a Steyer. But whether he can propel himself uh, up to the number one spot, who knows? Although I am somewhat skeptical. Given do, the, do you believe that yeah. he can – look, you can have a gazillion dollars. That does not necessarily give you the ability to make yourself likable well, to the voters. It. That's it. And it's, more importantly than likability or lack of likability is, is whether or not he can sell his message. And I think there are two problems. I think he's more moderate than the Democratic a primary electorate. A lot more moderate. Right? And secondly, he's flip-flopped. Transparently so, and they are skeptical of On the stop and frisk, especially. In particular. In particular. That is correct. All right, got to get a break in. Final break for this hour. But we got to do it. And this show, yeah, absolutely, which is so sad. Tomorrow, Iverson Jackson will be on during the power panel. He's going to join us. Got a lot of things to talk with Iverson Jackson. It will be very, very interesting in our conversation with him. I'm expecting Paul and Jan and R.D. to be there as well. And the Bible Guys at 5 o'clock. Don't forget to send in your questions. Bible Guys at SalemLR.com. All right. For a final little segment here with you, because uh, I think we've covered the Bloomberg problem. I mean, seriously, there's a, he's got significant problems. This is not New York. No. Where you can be liberal the way he is about guns and things and and still get four and three quarters of every vote from the democrats that are there uh that's not going to play that well all across america and will hurt you significantly and in a lot of places so i think that uh, he faces a very very big uphill uh battle the other thing that I think is going to be interesting is this whole thing about the impeachment. And uh, I'm getting, uh, i got to get a name here from uh, of who this is. This is uh, Ken Dillian. And it says uh, he is an NBC News national security reporter. Mm-hmm. And he made this statement over the weekend, yesterday in fact, want you to listen to it because it's very important. Remember that the Democrats quit saying quid pro quo because Indeed. they found out. Too confusing. Yeah. People didn't under, didn't know what a quid pro quo was. So they changed to what word? Bribery. 
which it isn't. No, it Meaning, is not. Just to be clear, when I say it isn't, it's not because I'm defending the president. I'm saying, assuming all the facts that the Democrats say are indeed the case, it's still not bribery. Assuming everything they say happened the way they say it happened with the intent they say existed, it's still not bribery. So why do they pick the word bribery? Why would you pick a word that doesn't apply to, to prosecute this impeachment claim? And, of course, the answer is because bribery is in the impeachment clause. So they just say, well, he, look, bribery is against impeachment, uh, is, is grounds for impeachment. So that's what he did. Of course, just to be clear, bribery in the impeachment clause quite clearly means if the president accepts a bribe. Yeah, money. Right. Even anything. But if he accepts something, their claim is that he did something to them, to the uh, Ukrainians. Mm -hmm. Bribery works in the opposite direction. That's the irony of it. It makes no sense. But they want to use that word because it's in the clause. So with that in mind, here's what this reporter had to say. Cut number six. You know, it hasn't moved the needle, in part because um, while we can call it bribery and extortion, um, the American public doesn't seem convinced of that. The Justice Department wasn't either. They took a pass on investigating this. So it's sort of the Democrats trying to convince the country that Donald Trump committed bribery and half the country believes them and half don't. There you go. Exactly. And they're stuck in the same spot. You know, the Democrats remind me of the kid who has the big muscle car. Right. But he can't find any traction to show it off. You know, it's interesting what he said. I'm, I'm reflecting on the comments that that reporter made. He goes, well, they're, they're saying it's bribery uh, and, and, or, extortion. or extortion. That's what's really interesting is if you accept the Democratic set of facts or their assertions as if they were facts, then it, then it would be extortion. But extortion isn't in the clause, in the not impeachment in clause. the Constitution. Right. So, and again, I'm not saying extortion is allowed or not allowed, but they want to use that word so badly. They're like, "Well, it's bribery and extortion." Wait, it's bribery and extortion are opposites. But here's the key, Robert. Right. I believe that the Democrats think the average American understands what a bribe is. Right. They have no idea what extortion is. Right. And so this is what they do. They say, Or a lot of people don't. Well, you know, it's like, uh, well, um, the speed limit is 65 miles an hour, and you crossed the double yellow line, so you were uh, speeding, and you crossed the double yellow line. Wait. I may have crossed the double yellow line, but I wasn't speeding. No, no, you were speeding because that's the what I'm going to give you the ticket for. Uh, but because you were speeding and crossed the double yellow line, what did I do? Well, you crossed the double yellow line. Who's on first, Dave? Yeah. Who's on first? What's it? People what, can't figure it out. I don't know. Third base. And guess what? If Third people base. can't figure it out, they're not going to buy it. Well, because it, it's not being. Let's be clear: the electorate is not stupid. I'm not saying the electorate knows everything. Their job is to not know everything. That's why we hire other people to be elected officials. But they're not stupid. And when they get the gobbledygook, the word jumble, come on, man. Sorry, that was another word jumble. When we get to word jumble. Let's talk about my hairy legs. Yeah, what? Hey, say what? Um, oh, then, don't forget roaches. Roaches. And, 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 I, and kids, and kids sitting, sitting on, on my lap. lap. Okay, yeah. Enough. Enough. Stop it. I'm getting these bad mental images. I'll have nightmares. <laughs> Uh, All types of weird. Yeah, exactly. All types of weird, ain't it? And so 
uh, when when they hear the word jumble, you know what they say? Uh, no, thank you, because they know nonsense. Look, the one thing actually, the American public is pretty good at. I'm not saying they're great at everything. I'm not saying I'm part of the public. I'm not great at everything. But the one thing I think that the American, the many, one of many things I think the American public is pretty good at is sniffing out a little BS. I think their BS yeah, meters, their BS meter is right, good. It's not terrible, right? Yeah. And when they hear this, well, you see, it's uh, it's uh, quid pro quo. Oh no, okay, it's not that. Well, it's bribery. Oh, okay, no, it's, not. Uh, it's bribery and extortion. Uh, wait, what? Maybe. Yeah. So that's so you know their their nose, their olfactory senses are getting a bit overloaded. If I may draw out the analogy. Yeah, that's fine. All right. That's it for today. My goodness. We're out of time. My goodness. we got news coming up. we got five minutes of news coming your way, and then uh, Larry Elder will be here on the uh, 101.1 FM, the uh, answer. I'm sure he'll have a lot of things to talk about. A lot of people ask me, why do you keep talking about this impeachment thing, Dave? Because it's important. Believe it or not, as stupid as the Democrats are, they're stupid kind of like foxes. They can be Indeed. They can be scary at times with what they're trying to do. They're trying to lay a trap for the president. They haven't succeeded yet. We'll keep on keeping you informed on what the latest is. I believe the president probably will get impeached, but I believe he'll be found not guilty in the Senate. Then I believe that the president will be reelected. That's my personal beliefs at this time, unless something completely weird happens. Robert, I appreciate you being in Thank here you. and God sharing bless. all your opinions with my us. Opinion. Robert my, my will be pleasure. fitting in on the 23rd and 27th That's for right. me because I'm That's taking right. some time off. But the bottom line goes like this. I'll see you tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Power panel Iverson Jackson is going to be with me on the Dave Ellswick Show. Good night. <laughs>